This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. Dr. Matt here along with Jeff and Terry. The gang is gathered. And yes, Marco Rubio. He shows up. Boy, uh, you got to praise these kids. They got a lot of heart, doing everything they can. Again, others are thinking, whoa, it's a conspiracy. Somebody's organizing these children, putting them on buses, shipping them to Tallahassee. But whatever the case, their voice is being heard. Uh, th- those would be the students that were um, the victims uh, and uh, you know everyone else, uh, members of the student body where that shooting took place, 17 died, and they went and faced their legislators, which is, I think, fantastic. I don't buy into the fact that these are plants put there by the NRA just because it's difficult to get kids that age to do anything, to take out the trash, you know. <laughs> but they would be they would be uh, put in by the anti-NRA, right? Yes. Yes, that's what I meant. But that, yeah, you're right. I mean, yeah, how do you get the kids? Except that's why I think they're but, motivated. But They've got a George, voice. George Clooney. Yeah. And his no, but see, now others, yeah, others are throwing money at it. But these kids are still showing up and their parents... And by the way, then Marco Rubio gets invited to be on this panel on CNN, and he shows up. Right. And, and I mean, a, from the beginning, tough. you knew he was just going to get yelled at. Oh, yeah. yeah. And it wasn't – I mean, that was the other thing I liked about it. It, it wasn't just yelling and screaming. I'm yeah. so, some of these town halls in the past you've seen where the, the, uh, the representative shows up, and no one can even talk because people are just yelling. Right. And there was a conversation. I mean, they talked. There was one point where the NRA spokesperson, they asked her a question. She started answering. And then the, 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 the student that asked the question says, excuse me, excuse me. Remember, the question I asked was this because oh, the wow. NRA person was just Clarified filibustering, yeah. right? And so it was just – and she goes, well, I'm, I'm trying to explain that. And she goes, well, then explain it. Don't talk about all this. you know." And so it was kind of testy that way. But they were trying to keep the NRA person on point yeah. instead of just wandering around and talking. It's a big deal. So, this is – this really is a great way for students to learn about the process. There was some uh, – little conflicting with the uh, sheriff of Broward County who was there. Oh, really? And the spokesperson for the NRA about policy and who gets to decide what is gun laws and those types of things. Interesting. So, yeah, it was just kind of uh, – it was a good conversation. The criticism from it is what's going to come out of this. Right. Watch any politician try to ban automatic – or, excuse me, semi-automatic weapons and just watch them not get elected is how that ended end up working. There was a very direct you – know, it's, it's, it's not the time to – go that drastic, but there's some moves that can be made. Do you remember what Rubio said when he was confronted um, by one of the teens about, will he agree that he'll never accept money from the NRA? Yes. Hmm. What said, did he say? He said, some groups buy into my message. Oh, interesting. Something of that nature. Yeah. And and he's like, so you're telling us you're never going to, you know, you're going to accept that kind of money, and he wouldn't say no because that's how the game's played. You have to have money to run, or you can't right. run. Or they'll throw money against that's, you. Yeah, which is would be double down loss of your money. That's powerful. These kids are doing what they can, and again, what will come of it? Well, uh, President Trump even met with another group. He, it almost was. It felt like it was a counter program situation because he was invited to the CNN. Uh, uh, town, town hall. hall last night. He declined, 
and held his own listening session at the White House. And it wasn't clear if they're going to have people from Florida there or who, but they had students and parents. Yeah. They had um, uh, uh, parents of Sandy Hook children that were oh, killed wow. that were there. And so it was really – and he just sat there and listened. Uh, the people made a big deal about he had talking points in yeah, his hands. Yeah, he could read but, his points. I mean, everyone's going to walk out there with some sort of idea what to say. Yeah. They gave him – he had some – and, and if you read the things on there, it was stuff like, how can I make you feel safe? How can we help you yeah. in this situation? I hear you. Yeah. And so just different – I mean, and the, I mean, you can't criticize what was on the no. paper, right? Uh-huh. Well, it seemed like he did, a, he did a good job there. Yeah. I mean, this could go wrong in so many ways. So he's, he showed restraint. He yeah. listened during the listen meeting. That's good. It was good. And, again, teaching the kids this is how you change something. Now, the the deal, I think, is the pressure would have to stay on. Mm-hmm. This level of pressure would have to continue through November. Then you might have something happening because they've got to be terrified. Nobody wants to face any of these victims and say, yeah, well, I like my guns. Yeah. <laughs> You're not going to be able to get away with it. Well, and that's, that's really good. what the conflict is going to be is – and we've talked about this before. How do you make legislation that applies in yeah. rural America and urban oh, America? Right, right. Guns have a different place in society in those different Well, that's why you probably need to stick with you know, certain things like bump stocks pretty much aren't needed anywhere. Mm. I mean I guess unless you have a disability. Right. But they're, then uh, assault rifles really probably – Aren't needed anywhere, really. Well, if they're not going to get rid of those bump stocks, isn't there something they can do? Like you have to show proof that you're disabled. You got to show your handicap placard or something like that. Yeah, and you can't sell your bump stock if you've got it with a disability. Because mm-hmm. that's, I mean, that's where this gets so complicated. Because there's that thing called the interweb, where you people are moving stuff all the time. And ammo. I mean, there's certain ammunition that just honestly doesn't need to exist. Armor-piercing ammo should not be on the streets. Should Amazon be given a hard time if somebody from the NRA purchases something from their website, gives them money? Oh, uh, yeah. I I just don't know know. where this ends. (laughs) There's a limit to everything, I guess. Well, I mean, I don't know. It's, yeah. Think of that. I'm just, just thinking of, of Marco Rubio. By the way, we know? Just, yeah, we just found out that – didn't we just find out that Amazon's three times bigger than Walmart? Yeah, or two and a half times. Well – That's crazy big. Wall Street numbers. Yeah, yeah. Not like actual numbers. Actual numbers, Walmart's so much bigger. Oh, yeah. But when it comes to Wall Street, they look at the future – and the future they see is brighter with Amazon, so it's worth more. It's ridiculous. You know why That's that is, point. though? Walmart what? had the audacity to force people to go into their stores over the holidays instead of giving you the good deals online. Yeah, what's up with that? I know. It we did, didn't want it, to go in the store. It did drop their stock in the last couple of days because that, those numbers came out. Speaking of numbers coming out, Uh-oh. USA beats Canada in a shootout for the 2018 Olympic Woo-hoo! women's hockey gold. Canada owns hockey. It seems like. This is quite – This is that was quite a crowd. Yeah. And uh, the U.S. in a shootout beats Canada. Atta go. Atta girl. That's awesome. They killed it. 
It's like the 38th anniversary of the that is the Miracle coolest on thing. Ice. Yeah, the men stuff. are out, right? Yeah, the men were bad. The men were bad, but the women. We didn't send our it. we didn't send our pros, so our amateurs were playing pros and lost. So, but our pro women, yeah, killed it. That that's just I just that we want to give them an attaboy, but an atta girl, <laughs> atta girl. Oh, okay. There we go. Yeah, um, that's great news. I mean, again, more gold <laughs> if you're counting. Just it's, add it to the collection. And then they always have to bite it. They always have to bite the metal. Because uh, they, they never learn. There's no gold. chocolate inside. Mm-hmm. No gold. No chocolate. Let's get to the rest of the headlines with Terry. See what else he can muster up for us. Some more about the uh, some of the news that came out of the CNN town hall. Yeah. You had so a man whose daughter was killed in a mass shooting in Parkland, Florida last week, confronted Senator Marco Rubio on Wednesday night. At the CNN town event, Fred Fred Guttenberg uh, said Rubio and President Donald Trump were pathetically weak in their response to the massacre. Which, if you watch that video, you you see you see Rubio like like physically like blink and like he bows his head a second like wow wow because <laughs> the guy goes I'm going to be direct here. You're pathetically I'm just gonna tell weak you exactly in your response, I'm... and yet he shows up. And he was there. Where were the other eighty or ninety nine senators? There's only two in the state, and they were both. No, no, but where were the other ones from the rest of the Senate? No one's saying anything. Everyone's quiet. Rubio was booed a lot, but Senator Bill Nelson of Florida, a Democrat, told the audience that Rubio showed guts by coming to the forum when President Trump and Florida Governor Rick Scott, Nelson's possible 2018 opponent, both declined invitations. Rubio said he would support legislation preventing an 18-year-old from buying a firearm, but he would not go so far as to endorse a ban on assault weapons. He backed a gun violence restraining order in which a parent or caretaker petition, uh, petitions authorities to prevent family members from buying guns or take guns away. Rubio said he's reconsidering his position of limiting magazine clip sizes because while it may not prevent an attack, it may save lives in an attack. Huh. They would have left some bullets to shoot. Mm-hmm. Yes. Rubio said that he did not support the president's idea of arming teachers. That was one of the things the president talked about in his listening yeah. session was he wants armed teachers. He said this morning that he didn't say that, but then he went ahead and like for the next three tweets discussed his idea of arming teachers. Jimmy Kimmel said last night, can you imagine if teachers are allowed to bring guns to school, but you can't have peanut butter in the classroom because of allergies? It's <laughs> a great point. It's like, okay. Yeah, you don't want to kill someone with peanut butter. Right. Rubio, he had a quote. He says, American politics is the only part of our lives where changing your mind based on new information is a bad thing. Yeah. You're not allowed to learn. No, can't go backwards. Hmm. Uh, so Trump, this, President Trump this morning said, I will be strongly pushing comprehensive background checks with an emphasis on mental health, raising the age to 21 for uh, gun sales and in the sales of bump stocks. Congress is in a mood to finally do something on this issue, I hope. Uh, who said that? This is President Trump this morning. Hmm. Well, okay, but you can't end a sentence with I hope. He says I hope. He I mean, just it's a did. great statement. Well, he ended it with an exclamation point. I hope. I hope. I hope. Punctuation is important. In other news, crews used boats to help residents evacuate their homes in northern Indiana after rainstorms swept mm. across the Midwest on Wednesday, combined with melting snow to flood rivers, roads, and other low-lying areas in several states. The storm system started pushing heavy rain, snow, and ice into the region this week. The weather has already been blamed for hundreds of car crashes, several fatalities, including a crash that killed four people 
in Nebraska. About 19 mm. people have been evacuated from homes in Indiana or Elkhart, Indiana, where emergency crews were using boats and an armored vehicle to respond, just driving through the water. Wow. Uh, the mayor there said early, uh, said early Wednesday that uh, schools are closed. Uh, it, this Most of the city uh, offices are all closed, that kind of thing. Emergency shelters are set up. Authorities in Lansing, Michigan, recommend the evacuations of at least six neighborhoods Wednesday ahead of the expected cresting of the Grand River at more than three feet above flood stages Thursday night. Wow. So there's expected uh, tonight to all kinds of problems. Hold on. And is it freezing there? It's cold, but, I mean, the water's still flowing. Uh-huh. And then they get another problem later on when all the ice that develops yeah. breaks and oh, starts moving boy. all at the same time. The Measurable. National Weather Service said up to eight inches of rain have fallen in parts of northern Indiana since Monday. Eight inches since Monday. Oh, man. This is something like, you know, we we saw all the photos from Houston. Yep. And we that was in the muggy summer, right? So can you imagine flooding in the freezing winter? Ugh. Brutal. Just horrible. Uh, according to new polling, more than half of U.S. adults are uncomfortable with self-driving vehicle technology and would be unlikely to use it on a daily basis, though younger Americans are more positive. What's the problem? Yeah. <laughs> Many automakers ranging from the largest car companies to newer interests, uh, entrants like Google's uh, Waymo and Tesla are making big bets on autonomous driving technology, which also expected to help drivers or drive the expansion of electric vehicles. P- uh, public hesitation could hamper widespread commercial deployment. Uh, Northeastern University and Gallup survey from last year released today finds that 59% of respondents said they were uncomfortable with riding in a fully self-driving car. On a daily basis, 62% said they would be uncomfortable sharing the road. Yeah. With a fully self-driving car and trucks. The pollster said Americans may be underestimating their willingness to adopt the technology. The uh, same analysts note that a Gallup survey in 2000, almost a quarter of adults said they would never get a cell phone. Right. Hmm. Of course, that was a lie. Everyone well, got a cell phone. And by the way, how come all of these same people are comfortable with somebody eating a hamburger while they're driving at 75 miles well, an hour. That's a great the, point. The, the poll didn't ask that question. Yeah, they should ask that question because they're like 80% are totally fine with it. My mother said that we would never have the internet in our home. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Boy, was she wrong. Now look at you. And finally, North Korea has used giant speakers to bless propaganda uh, speeches across the DMZ, the stretch of land separating North yeah. and South Korea, on a loop for years. So speeches. Oh, wow. Just propaganda. Four score. Blasting them. Some U.S. military personnel stationed at the DMZ can recite the speeches from memory because they're just on a loop. See, they're They're learning. They're learning the... But with the start of the Winter Olympics in South Korea, it appears the North has given speeches a rest. We've been hearing a lot more music and a lot has been a lot more classical, especially at night, says the U.N. uh, Command Duty Officer Daniel McShane. Uh, to ABC News, McShane says maybe the North switched to choral and folk music because so many North Koreans are in the South for the Olympics, or it could just be a coincidence. Mm-hmm. But uh, or it goes maybe they just ran out of speeches. You know what they need is polka music. Polka. Ooh yeah, everyone polka, likes a good polka. It brings countries together. Mm. Right. No, but it's a good idea. It's a really good idea. You don't see Canada getting any closer to Minnesota. But aren't they? Mm, not not now, and they're not. Do you think polka spreads across the border up there as a kind of universal appeal? Well, is it spread like a disease? I'm just asking. I don't yeah. know. These are I details. Polka. Well, this just, is more yodeling, but I, I like, think there's it's an offshoot of. Well, there's polka. a lot of yodeling in polka. That's um, true. 
I think once you get your toe tapping, it's the toe tapping and it's the vibrations of the yodeler. Do you that like brings do you, people together? Do you like an accordion-based polka yes. or more of a horn-based? No, polka? I grew up in a family with accordions. In fact, I play the accordion. Mm. Can uh, you yodel too? No, no, I, I broke my yodeler. Oh yeah. Doesn't it feel like more of the type of genre of music, the genre of music that a one-man band would try to play, a polka? Yeah, like the, you can almost hear this guy banging his knees together yeah, yeah, with yeah. cymbals. That was my thought. Yeah. Mm. But um, <laughs> no, I I played the I played the accordion mm. and uh, at the Larry Pino um, accordion. What they call it? I don't remember. Emporium or kind something? Of, yeah. You're making this up. No, no, I swear. And then they said, hey, he, Larry Pino said, hey, Matt, you've got talent. You went, thank you, Larry. And I'm you like, that, that part you're definitely making up. No. And he said, you've got talent. I want you to be a member of our, our accordion orchestra. Oh, wow. Which was really just a bunch of accordions. Oh, yeah. And then um, he then said, I've really got talent. And right then I thought, I got to stop this now. I'm getting too big. I am going to have to go on tour. <laughs> okay, when are you bringing your accordion to the show and no, playing? I, it? So I quit Please say the never. accordion. Come on. But my mother played accordion and she has an accordion and I could probably play a song on that. What was the name of the orchestra? Was it the Honda Accordions? <laughs> hmm. That wasn't even funny. No. Not <laughs> even close. No, that wasn't even well, funny. About the Larry thirty-five Pino. people beg to differ. Wow. Um, that was the yeah the one yeah, Larry Pino was the name of the the orchestra, the Larry Pino Accordion Orchestra. Okay, not the Honda Accordions. <laughs> hmm. Anyway, hey, up next we're going to be talking about online social networks. How they can actually help you fight your social anxiety. Is it that people that have social anxiety are using their social media to communicate in a way that they wouldn't normally communicate? According to our next researcher, uh, that's a big yes, and we will be talking about it. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Ever since the social media boom of Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, people have wondered how these sites affect their users. Researchers, practitioners, and social commentators have expressed concern that they can reduce meaningful face-to-face interaction, leaving many users depressed and lonely. But our next guest, uh, Dr. Eva Bouchel, assistant professor of marketing at the Darla Moore School of Business, has done research to answer the question and has some, I think, uh, pretty interesting insights for us about uh, how social media may actually be helping um, fight or at least helping those with social anxiety to communicate a little more effectively. Uh, Dr. Bouchel, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. This is, uh, boy, some very interesting research. And by the way, coming out of, out of, the, out of a marketing, um, you'd almost think this would be coming from psychology and the study of psychology, but really this seems to be more of a marketing study you've done. Yeah, so um, people don't really realize this, but a lot of research uh, is 
that is done in, in marketing departments is actually very psych- psychology based. Yeah. Um, so we do consumer behavior and consumer psychology. It's, it makes um, sense, so right? I don't understand. Right. Um, yeah. Help. Sorry. Sorry. No. So talk to us about um, what what you're noticing. What what did your research find out about social networks, social media, and and how those with social anxiety are using it? Yeah. So basically, what we uh, identify is kind of like the fact that there's a very specific feature of online social networks, and it's the fact that uh, when you're communicating through microblogs, which are more commonly known as things like uh, tweets or status updates, mm-hmm. uh, basically you can communicate in this kind of what we call um, undirected manner, where you can kind of put something out there, um, like a tweet, and talk about something that you might want to talk about uh, without having to reach out to anybody more directly. So if you're, for example, if you usually when, it, when you want to talk to somebody, you have to call them up, or you have to text somebody specifically. Uh, but for microblocks, you can just kind of put it out there and then see whether somebody wants to respond, which makes the communication almost um, a little less. Um, it makes the communication a little bit less. Uh, it makes it more. It makes it more voluntary, so people can then respond um, if they want to, but they don't necessarily have to. And, it, and de- that kind of reduces the anxiety that is associated yeah. with communication. It decreases that pressure that you know that 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 might hang around a, a kind of a one-on-one uh, interaction. Is this? Are you noticing right. that? Um, because there has been research, it seems like, around social media that it might make people. Uh, you know, evaluate themselves more harshly, that they, they might be more prone yeah. to be depressed or sad. But this actually would suggest this is a way for this is kind of a very beneficial way for people with social anxiety to to use social media. Exactly. So I think, you know, we're not saying that there's only positive benefits, uh, positive aspects of social media. I think what's, what we're trying to say is it's a little bit more of a complicated story. Yeah. And um, clearly there are certain things that they might be harmful for. So, yes. Everybody represents themselves in in, in a more positive light that can uh, hurt self-esteem, for example, in some ways. But it's actually it's people with kind of low self-esteem that also feel like they uh, might benefit more from these kind of uh, channels when it comes to communicating. So really, we're not saying that, you know, online social networks are only good, but we're saying that they definitely have aspects that can also be beneficial. And I think that's why they're so popular. if, if they would only be bad, I think people would probably stop using it right. at some point. Well, and boy, if all of a sudden you can take people with social anxiety and bring them out, uh, you know, from from the darkness and bring them out and give them yeah, a voice and a place exactly. to actually engage, this could be really powerful. Yeah, and I think it, it, because those people might not be the ones who can otherwise reach out and then it just wouldn't reach out at all. Um, and so the fact that we find that people who uh, have are more socially anxious um, – are more likely to update their status is, I think, something that kind of speaks to the fact that there's a certain need for them to reach out, but they can't do it otherwise, and so they can use these channels um, to reach out when they otherwise wouldn't. So, Did, yeah, uh, and reaching out is actually, your social interaction is very, very important for our well-being. Absolutely. So Did you notice, is there a difference between them just posting, like, on their Facebook page versus doing private messaging or direct messaging somebody? Yeah, so actually what we find is that people who are socially anxious or prefer microblocks over both direct messages 
and face-to-face communication. So when you're direct messaging somebody, you still have to kind of reach out to somebody and they still get a notification that says, hey, XYZ just sent you a message. And then they feel like an obligation to respond. Um, Whereas you don't really have that for microblocks because you can just put them out there and not everybody, nobody gets a notification if you don't see it. Nobody is expecting that Matt is going to like see this post and going to respond. If you reply, great. But you're not getting a notification that I just like sent you personally something um, and then you have to somehow like say something back because you feel obligated to. Hmm. Do do you sense that they would use this more than face-to-face interaction? Yeah, so basically, so the the interesting thing about our study is, I think is, sure, uh, face-to-face communication is kind of like the most extreme form of communication where you are face-to-face with somebody, but our effect isn't isn't about the the fact that it's not face-to-face because we also find it for um, direct messaging. Um, So basically we think it's really the, the fact that it's kind of like this non-committal way of communication where you're communicating with a bunch of people and whoever wants to reach out or wants to respond can, um, instead of actually directing the communication at somebody specifically who then might feel obligated to respond. Yeah. It really, it's, so. it's just about, it's, it seems it's, it's just about safety. And if it goes anywhere from there, that's great. If not, hey, yeah. it's at least more than nothing. Exactly. And I mean, I, I think there are certain, certain other aspects of it. Um, again, you can like, then if somebody does respond, um, and this is not something that we've tested, this is just kind of me thinking, thinking what happens. Uh, but I think if somebody does respond, it's almost like even uh, more of a honor in a way, because yeah. they, they didn't have to. Um, and if somebody just responds because you sent them a message, it's it doesn't necessarily mean that they care about you. They might have just felt obligated to respond. Whereas if you put something out and somebody voluntarily follows up with you and says something or likes your post or something, um, they didn't have to do that. So uh, it's almost a little bit more assuring. Yeah, I think. No, I agree. I, in fact, I, I you can almost tell. Um, and I have clients that have social anxiety, and you can see them out there doing it. It's almost just. They're just they just want to be part of the opportunity, part of the conversation and yeah. and they're throwing it out there and I wonder if if nobody responds, is it even more negatively impactful? Yeah. I mean I think it could again, we didn't look at this specifically. I think if nobody if none of your friends says anything, yeah. then that could be a little hurtful. Yeah. Most of the time though, if you look at you don't really see that many statuses, uh, at least not in, in, in my uh, news feed that don't get any reaction. Right. I mean, there's usually somebody who responds if you have a bunch of friends. Um, and I think you also sometimes kind of wonder, like you see these posts and you're like, why, why are people posting this on Facebook? Um, and one reason why they might be doing that is because they don't really know how to reach out in another way. Sometimes people reveal very personal things on Facebook where you're kind of like, like why are you doing this online? Um, and one of the reasons might be is because it's easier for them. But that could also have downsides because if you keep posting things about your personal life um, or that are kind of very intense, you're also kind of maybe overexposing yourself um, and your problems to people that might not want to hear about it or should not know about it. Right. Uh, again, we're speaking with uh, Dr. Eva Bouchel, who is Assistant Professor of Marketing at the Darla Moore School of Business 
and um, has done extensive research on this topic of social networks and social media and how we could use social media to actually uh, help some people fight social anxiety or at least communicate more. And, and she's learning some interesting insight about that. What What would you suggest – I mean, I guess if if you have children that have social anxiety, then <laughs> social media could be a friend. It could be. I think it's also, you know, another thing that you, uh, so what we actually show is that if, if somebody tells um, someone that, like, they're always there for them to listen, and if they really want to reach out, they can, um, then people will actually reach out or prefer reaching out in person. I think it's a fact that people are afraid to or, or think that they're bothering someone or imposing something yeah. on someone. So I think if I had children, I would just make sure that um, I would, you know, always tell them that, like, I'm always willing to, like, listen to them. And uh, so I think it's also kind of like a, a fact. If you do see somebody who is posting a lot and you might think that they're doing it because they don't have anybody to talk to, it might be worth reaching out to them and letting them know that, they um, are always welcome to talk to them also offline. Yeah, that could be a really powerful way to just help each other through this through life is yeah. con- just just responding <laughs> to people's <laughs> statements. I mean, yeah, I mean, especially if you know that they might be a little more shy or more, you know, af- afraid to exactly. to stick their neck out, then validate it, validate it. Yeah, or you can just send them a, a, a message on you know in a more direct manner like a, a Facebook message or something saying uh, that, you know, if they're having a rough time or something or if they need to talk, that you're there for them. That's cool. I mean, I, I guess this this also what I worry about. Well, maybe I don't worry about it really. But if this also could become a marketing concept where, oh, wow, now all of a sudden we can start marketing to the anxious and start. Um, yeah. is, is, do you worry about that side of this? Um, well, so I mean, again, as marketers, we always kind of think about segmentation and like targeting. Uh, um, and I think looking at kind of like how people behave online, if you have more advanced analytical tools, you can uh, figure out, you might be able you might be able to figure out who is socially anxious because they're posting more or they're posting, po- posting certain content. One thing that we don't necessarily know is exactly what people are posting. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but if we, if we knew what people would posting you could figure out basically what on um, kind of like the what the content that they're posting you could figure out how socially anxious they might be and then target them specifically which could be a good thing um if you're trying to help them uh or it could be a bad thing if you're uh trying to like exploit them yeah do you um so you don't necessarily know what they're they're posting necessarily um but but no matter what, one of the things your research did find is by by the mere fact that they are commenting and then having people respond to their comments, they, they do feel happier. Yeah. So we have um, we do have some research showing that if people express their emotions um, to somebody and then that the, the person has an ability to respond like they do on social networks, uh, it can alleviate kind of these negative feelings. So a lot of times when we feel negatively, we have this intense need to reach out because we, we need to be comforted and having somebody talk to us and having social interaction kind of, kind of comfort us and alleviate negative feelings, even if it's just temporarily. It doesn't necessarily solve the problem that we have, but it just kind of like makes us feel better. Um, and what we find is that even, that this can even happen 
if you're just anticipating a response. So uh, if somebody feels bad and, and you have have them write to somebody or or um, kind of write, write about their emotions or why they're feeling bad, and then uh, send it to somebody who know who you know will be able to respond, um, just kind of the anticipation of response uh, can make you feel better. So just posting on on social media and anticipating the response might make them might make people feel better. Hmm. Again, if they never get one, we're not sure yeah. if it's uh, also kind of sad if nobody responds. But just basically posting and kind of anticipating the response and maybe overestimating how much response you're going to get um, can at least temporarily alleviate these negative feelings because um, you're, you're you're thinking about like people, all the people are going to like response to your post. Absolutely. Um, Isn't that fascinating? Yeah. And it's also interesting how little we know. And so that's why we're grateful that uh, you're on it, Eva. Again, we appreciate your time, Eva. Eva Bouchel is her name, and uh, she is an asso- assistant professor of marketing at the Darla Moore School of Business. Um, and just keep at it, really. We need it. I, I have a lot of clients that have social anxiety, and if we could just find one or two more ways to help them reach out and find a little more happiness and dare to communicate. Uh, it might be a great breakthrough for all of us. We will continue the journey, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Who doesn't love social media? Me. Uh, lots of people. Um, I personally love it because we just announced uh, my daughter's, what do they call it when you, gender reveal for her twins. Yeah. Did you have like blue smoke or uh-huh. pink smoke? blue smoke and yeah. pink smoke. That's great. That's great. Why, why do you say it that way? I just... All, <laughs> you say it so negatively, like you hate smoke and little baby twins. Well, no, that, now, the, now you have like the fact that you're pregnant, a reveal. Yeah. Oh, right? yeah. Then you have the gender reveal. Yeah. Then you have the name reveal. Right. And it's just m- more excuses to put something on Instagram. Yeah. And they go, hey, look at me. Or, hey, look at my beautiful human that I brought to this earth. No, that's great. It's just at some point it's like th- these like 10 years ago, people didn't celebrate every single milestone. Hey, you hate babies, don't You're you? You're a monster. I, I have He's a two. baby hater. They're fine. They're great. But didn't you and your wife do a gender reveal? Yeah, we went to my parents and said, guess what it's going to be? A baby. My, my wife baked a cake and made it blue. Maybe, maybe he's yeah. trying to get at the point of it's 50-50. It's either a boy or a girl. It's not like a lottery drawing. Yeah, right? but don't you think that a baby reveal, a gender reveal, is more interesting to put on social media than, hey, I had quiche for lunch. Yes. Well, sure. Yeah. But then I have a problem with 90% of what's put on social media. So, I, I think you have a problem with 90% of humanity. <laughs> that could be it, too. Plus the little, you just don't like babies. No, I have two of them. They're great. Yeah, but yours aren't babies anymore. Well, one, one and a half, that's a baby. She's a still figuring out how to walk. She's well, there. So's Jeff. But I know. By the way, so am I. I had another tumble the other day. Did oh you really? boy! With grandma's ankles. You need Grankles. to get some braces. Brace up those ankles and for you. Again, all I get from my family that was around me at the time, laughter. Of course. Did they at least check to see if you were hurt no, before they, they didn't. laughed? Really? They just started laughing. Right into the. That is mean. 
That's gotta, what happens in my household, too. If I get hurt, that's the first response. It's not, oh, let me help you, or that looked painful. Well, it's laughter. No, it's also, hey, put the fire out, and then, <laughs> then they laugh because you always get electrocuted. So you were talking about the baby reveal. So that was the baby reveal, and right. we have babies coming. Have you and- seen the failures people have? Like yeah. there's there's one where you you have a like a ball full of some whatever the blue smoke yeah yell. and so you throw it at say your husband and he's supposed to hit it with the baseball bat strike and dad can't hit it <laughs> he <laughs> just keeps swinging away yeah you need an easier well we had a little problem because sparks from the firework thing that had the blue smoke or the pink smoke one yeah. of the sparks hit my granddaughter on the forehead. <laughs> So she started crying because she was hurt. Pyrotechnics. They're difficult. It was intense. But it was cool. A girl and a boy. That's what's coming. Congratulations. Thank you you for congratulating me. Thank you, (gasps) Jeffrey. Thank you, Terry, for hating little children. I know this is not related to what we've been talking about, but yesterday we went to a meeting. Yeah. And there is a a new show that's coming out on BYU TV that deals with something that I think – hones in on what is really happening with my face. What? So we thought maybe it was just the dryness. Yeah. Maybe allergies, right? But there's a new show coming out Reptilian called Man. The Leper. Remember that? That's it. In fact, Whoa. I think I've got leprosy. Right, right when they announced. Why are you coming to? They tell you don't come to work with the flu, but you no. show up with leprosy? But here's the deal. Right when they said that there's a new show that is about a leper... Jeff and I looked at each other like, oh, that's why you've got the eyelid thing. And Matt Um, immediately stood up and moved 10 rows back. I'm going to move away now. That was weird. We used to have colonies for you people. It's okay because I rubbed my face all over the pizzas before we ate them. That's why I didn't eat any. (laughs) That's why Terry left early and didn't have any either. Nobody wants that. They also said we're bimodal. I was like, what is that? So I left. Bimodal. Anyway, yeah. so <laughs> you distraction. Let's do so this. So social media, Be, the earliest form of social media, possibly, possibly was a message in a bottle. It was probably actually a smoke. Yeah, probably a smoke. But one of them. I mean, you're stuck on an island. You you toss the bottle into the ocean, hoping for rescue. Presuming you have a bottle. I don't know how. Yeah, that that was always confusing. How do they get a bottle? How do they get a bottle? You're on there. an island. Where did that come from? Look, did a seagull bring it? So more than two years after Wanda Roberts and her family threw a message in in a bottle into the Pacific Ocean, it was found by Edward Paulino, thousands of miles away in Guam. Wow. Roberts' late father, Bob Mahan, loved to camp out by the ocean. And on September 9th, 2015, the family gathered on the beach in Navarro, California, sending a message in a bottle out to the sea. It ultimately reached the shores of uh, Guam where it was discovered on February 3rd by Paulino. Paulino's daughter, Garica, told the Pacific Daily News that her dad likes collecting interesting items on the beach. And when he found the bottle, he urged her to contact Roberts. Wow. It's amazing that the bottle traveled such a long distance, she said. The faded pink bottle contains a letter from Roberts explaining why she had thrown it into the ocean and a small container of bubbles sporting a picture of Mahan's favorite cartoon character, Mickey Mouse. Oh, wow. Garica Paulino messaged Roberts, who lives in Washington on Facebook, let her know that the bottle had arrived in Guam, and Roberts was thrilled. Social media is a wonderful outlet connecting us to other parts of the world, she said. It's brought back fond memories of all the family, and all the family agrees that my dad would have loved to have known that this happened. Oh. The bottle went across the Pacific. Somebody else found That's it. Now neat. they have a friend. Poor Guam is like, it's just like the trash bin. Yeah. <laughs> 
What's the other side Pacific. of this? <laughs> he picked up a bottle out of the ocean. And and now you'd have all these – I mean, because that's a beautiful story. But now because everybody has an opinion and everybody has something they're fighting for, yep. there's people out there right now saying, oh, great, ruin Earth well, there's, by throwing bottles the, into the ocean. There are floating trash islands in the Pacific where the currents have yeah. pushed all the stuff that's out there together. After Can you imagine the, some of the stuff you would find there, though? Well, after the, the tsunami in Japan, right? Yeah. It pulled boats and all kinds of just life, the trash, everything out into the ocean. Boats are floating around. So, yeah. That's what you need, though. You, do need, you need one island to willingly take in all the trash. <laughs> yeah. Just a place where we can collect it all. There you go. Yeah. Good stuff. Man, that's what, see, a good, so, feel, yeah, good two story. Two families unified by a bottle. Yeah. And then social media. And there's that loving feeling that we all felt in our heart. And even I saw Terry's heart jump a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I rejected most of that. So It's beautiful. I did it for the show. See, that's what we do here. We will continue learning together and feeling the peace of life. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back. Somebody wake Jeffrey up. Wow. 22 easy tips for people who are sick of feeling tired. Last night I took, uh, is it melatonin? Is that what it's called? Yes. I always, I always call it Metamucil. Yeah. Because well, I can never remember to call that's it actually melatonin. Different. Yeah. But, and that'll get you up in the middle of the night for a different reason. <laughs> um, but my melatonin, I took some, but it seems like mine only lasts like four hours. Really? And then, I don't know. It's always every time I ever take it, I go to sleep really fast, but wake up in the middle of the night. Do you need melatonin with your schedule? Um, no. But it's, it's just a little. It's just a little extra push, a little it, extra boost. It's just a, and it's just natural. It's a natural thing. Hmm. Melatonin. It does your body good. Um, so I've been looking for some sleep tips, and here are some sleep tips. Yeah. Um, that that might help you. Uh, this is from BuzzFeed, and some of them are obvious. Some of them may not be your problem. Number one, or number one, try limiting your alcohol intake. Done after nine p.m. <laughs> Done. Turn the thermostat down a bit so you're sleeping in a cooler environment. It's seventeen Done. degrees outside. I'm good. Really My, doesn't doesn't heat make you sleep more than cold? No, it makes you uncomfortable. Yeah. Oh, if I'm sitting in a a hot room, I'll fall asleep like that. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. That's why I often and fall asleep in And take your shirt off and, yeah, hence, all that other hence stuff. Hence the leprosy, uh, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> one thing you could do is practice breathing methods. Oh, yeah. Better breathing kind of calms your body down, helps you relax a bit. I do a little meditation um, tape. We don't call them tapes anymore. I do a little online meditation. Present. Like a, a video. It, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, And it just it, – Is it your voice or is it video? It's not my voice. Oh. It's, but what it does is it has me imagining myself on a beach in a hammock. Okay. And you can hear the waves coming in. Mm. Whoosh, whoosh. It's so nice. And then I always dream about, you know, being Gilligan on Gilligan's Island. Uh, <laughs> keep your phone away from you in the room. Charge Jen. your phone out, out – you know, out in the kitchen. I usually look at it and then turn it off and go to sleep. Mine's across the room. Man. They say uh, mist your pillow with lavender, chamomile, 
Chamomile Ooh. pillow yeah. spray. No. No. No smells. No. Yeah, I don't want anything. <laughs> My wife has dish soap that smells like peppermint. Hmm. Oh, it's so gross. Oh, yeah. Just don't. I don't need that on everything because it's on your hands and it travels everywhere you There's go. There's something then. about lavender oil apparently that makes you sleepier. Because yeah. Another one is dab tea tree oil or lavender oil on your wrists. We have Wait a minute. Is this from those uh, essential oil that's people? A, yeah, that's probably not. This is from BuzzFeed, but okay. that, that one snuck through we, there. We have some baby lotion that's supposed to be, you know, you prep your kid for bed type yeah. of, and you, it's lavender type stuff. So. Uh, play a word game that takes your mind off the fact that you can't sleep. Really? Like tongue twisters? Like or? P is for pancake. Think of every word you, you can you think can of play, that starts with a P. You could play words with friends on your phone. Hmm. Yeah, that's right? a great one. Well, no, you're supposed no, to put no, no, your phone no, no. away. Yeah, keep your oh. phone away. Use an eye mask to block out every single bit of light in your room. By the way- Then you just look pretentious. I use earplugs. Greatest thing on earth. Hmm. It puts me in my own little cocoon. So there's an emergency. Yeah, you know, well, I no, I would, be, I would probably buy, die in a house fire. Yeah. I've had to start taking my watch off at night because if I don't, I will hit snooze on my watch. Really? And then I won't get up. Really? Hmm. Yeah. yeah. I've I almost missed the show because of it. Uh, another one, this I thought of you, Jeff, rub your entire body down with coconut or castor oil. Who told you? <laughs> wow. Sounds your wife slick. called. Um she says, yeah, she says you keep ruining the sheets with coconut oil. Well, I got to figure out this skin thing. Yeah. Only hang out in bed Lufa. when you're ready to turn in for the night. Right. You so know watching that, that, TV. That, that, that is a good tip. People go and hang out in their bedroom. They read. They just kind of linger. Use the bed only for sleeping. Yeah. Now, what about a chair next to your bed? Is that okay? No. Because I've got one of those. So those are just a few tips, and mm-hmm. we will uh, we'll continue giving you more ideas to uh, sleep, including sometimes just listen to the podcast. We'll help you any way we can. This is the Matt Townsend Show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here along with Jeff and Terry. The gang is gathered and we are celebrating with the women's hockey team from the United States of America. Yes! They win the gold over Canada in a shootout. It's a pretty uh, powerful moment, and it does uh, it, it brings us one step closer to what moving to fourth place in the medal count. If if you're into counting medals, aren't the games over like tomorrow? Are they? Yeah, Ivanka. Trump and Sarah Huckabee Sanders have, uh, are they're soon to depart for the closing ceremonies. Is that tomorrow? Really? Whenever they are. Yeah. But that, that's part of our U.S. delegation to the closing ceremonies is Ivanka and Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's great. Yeah. I read that this morning. Why is the press secretary there? Yeah, why is she going? That's interesting. You'd think she'd want to stick around the White House. and She seems to have a, a big job. and Maybe she, this is like, hey, Sarah, a, you've done a great job. Yeah. Let's send you over to the Let's Olympics. send you to South Korea. Apparently, they were really close to having a handshake and a meet and greet with the North Koreans, and it fell through at the last minute because North Korea had backed out. 
That's what they're saying. With they would have been with Pence, Vice President Pence. Right. Sunday. Closing ceremonies Sunday. Ooh. Sunday. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Okay, well, I'll make my plans. Plans for what? To do something else. Yeah, you've. You, there's something about when those feel-good moments that you're trying to dodge. I, I think the problem is the way NBC presents it is you have some sports intermingled with all these human interest, tear-jerking that, type stories. But what's wrong with that? I'd rather just watch the actual competition than find out about somebody doing something over here. Just, just tell me, show me what's happening. Yeah. I don't need the the background story. Boy, they're mad at you. If they want to do that, they could take another channel. They have NBC has a whole array of channels and put all that stuff over there and just put the sports over here but so we can see what's human, happening. It's the human interest stories that make the Olympics the Olympics. But it's so much that you, you, you'll you take an hour of programming and you'll yeah. get 10 minutes of the actual competition mm-hmm. and the rest of it is all this person had this happen, this yeah. person had this happen, which is fine, but what, what's going on? No, Show I understand. me what's happening. He's I, anti-human. He's anti-human interest. I don't know if that's too much to ask for. Uh, Norway is leading the medal total, 35 medals total. Germany is second place with 25. Guess who's third? Canada. Canada is third with 24. You know they why? almost had 25. Oh, no, they still had a medal. Yeah, they have, lot, they have a lot of snow. Yeah, they do. Guess what? who's fourth? The comp- competitors from Russia? The United States of America. Oh. 21. Yeah, and the Netherlands with 17. Again, lots of snow. Interesting. Great Britain only has four, not to point fingers. China has nine. Mm. Sweden has snow, too. They're, they have 10 medals. Well, they're not using it appropriately. Japan, 11. Let's look. Uh, Korea has 11. Yeah, uh, Russia has 12. So... There you no, have. not Russia. The competitors. The competitors from underneath Russia. the flag of the Olympic flag Get that it are right. from Russia. Yeah. Except one curler who was caught doping. Okay, now let's talk about the doping curler for a minute. <laughs> um, what? Have you ever swept with like real intensity? Most people sweep, but just say, oh, you just kind of sweep. These guys are sweeping for purpose. You must have yeah. the have athletic seen, ability. Have you seen my kitchen floor? I don't know. I, I work. It's a pretty good workout. Okay. You don't need to. You don't need. Or, or if you're sliding the stone, you see the. I mean, the, they got themselves contorted into this really long lunge thing, and you have to slide the stone with such accuracy. I mean, the Japanese team the other day, they they were sliding the stone right. Yeah. You, you kind of. You have a target. You set up other stones to kind of block out the competition. Right. And he just slid it and then oh, did too much power and just blew up their whole plan. They, they rallied. Don't worry. Japan rallied and won the match. They, yeah, they, but they rallied. with just the slightest touch, he just destroyed their entire strategy in trying to win. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's just a bad case for why one would need to do doping. Doping. Hmm. Sounds kind of dopey to me. Yeah. Well, it is kind of just it's it's seen as bowling on ice. Yeah. By the way, there have got to be twenty to thirty countries that receive no medals. Right. It's the it's the the opportunity to compete to represent your country. Yeah. That's what it is. 
Plus, there's four countries or so that they received one medal, like right. one silver, one bronze. Uh, that's I mean, and, and they, they get they, a, he- they get a hero's all these welcome. countries still show up. I think yeah. that's wonderful. Hmm. Like I didn't see. Let me see. Uh, Tonga didn't receive any right. medals well, except they got the guy that's greased up and looked really good in the opening yeah. ceremonies. Hmm. So <laughs> at least there's that. Uh, so Sunday's the final day. That's right. Try to take it all in, folks. It's going fast. Let's get to the rest of the headlines, see how fast that goes. Terry, what else should we be paying attention to? One week after the deadly shooting in Florida, President Trump invited Americans touched by gun violence to the White House on Wednesday for a listening session. What the president heard was emotional pleas and anguished voices from parents who lost children and children who lost classmates. From some calling for gun control measures... Uh, He and Congress, mostly on the Republican side, had long resisted. There was a common thread. Students and parents were at a breaking point. Andrew Pollack, father of Meadow, one of the 17 killed a week ago on Valentine's Day. I'm never going to see my kid again. I want want it to sink in. He said it multiple times. He named the the cemetery she's buried in. Uh. That's where I get to visit my child. And just all this very emotional speech that he gave. He goes, it should have been one school shooting and we should have fixed it. Yeah. He said, "9/11 happened, and we tr- we did what we can to fix it. We've done nothing to fix it. Why can't we? Do- you know, just that kind of imagery, wow. that kind of talk." Tense. He said, "The country has failed its children." Mr. Trump said, "Yeah, he would strengthen background checks and look to increase mental health services." The president said he was open to all ideas on improving school safety, but he spoke only at one of them at length, which is allowing teachers to carry concealed weapons. This morning, the president tweeted that he didn't say give teachers weapons. Then he talked more about arming teachers. And what huh. the plan moving forward would be to give let, let teachers have weapons in schools. Well, Even just, though that's not what he said. Yeah, no, he didn't say it, but it was. But he said it. He wants... He, he, they talk about like bringing in like veterans that yeah. know how to use guns and have them staffing the schools. Or maybe if there's a veteran that's a huh. teacher, they can be armed. But... School, schools are huge. Yeah. And this, the, the Florida school had a resource officer in the school who was armed. He was on the other side of the school when the shooting happened. Well, I mean, honestly, there there's that one story where one armed person stops another armed person and saves. Yeah, that's the good guy that's with the, the gun. That's the yeah. But then there's the other stories where... The woman the, walking... Into a Home Depot, sees a guy run out of the Home Depot shoplifting. This uh, one of the employees says, "Stop!" She pulls out her gun and shoots at the guy. Ooh. Misses. It ricochets. Hits a driver that's driving by. Oh yeah, that's, that's, that's again one that's isolated incident. Yeah. But that's a story you don't really hear about sometimes when this kind plus, of thing happens. Plus, just the other mistakes of teachers misfiring a gun. Right now, New York, New York Times had a quote. And it's from Joel Merrick, a former assistant principal who used his Colt 45 pistol to detain a 16-year-old gunman who had killed two students at a high school in Mississippi in 1997 on, uh, his, on moves to arm teachers, this idea. He says, teachers have to teach, and that's what they need to be doing. It doesn't matter what, a, a, what kind of a expert you are with a pistol or you think you are. You don't need to be in school in charge of protecting the children. Yeah, right. You have other responsibilities, teaching the children. You know, you're trying to do all this, and then now you got to think about the bigger issue of how do I keep them alive? It's a big deal. There's just so much we're asking there the teachers There are people anyways. that are teachers that would love and already have guns and would love a gun in the school. They would love it. Maybe, I mean. Sure. So 
There's schools in Oklahoma, they actually have a posted outside, a yeah. sign that says teachers are armed in the school. And, but anybody else that wants to come in, hey, I'll, bring, I'll bring my gun, I'll guard the kids. Anybody that wants to do that, that's kind of scary. Yeah. Yeah. So again, It may not be the answer. But good, there's a conversation. Yeah. Let's be this, talking This talking it. session with the president was very uh, productive. Yeah. It was more productive than I thought it was going to be. A lot of these types of things just turn into photo ops and you move on with the day. Right. But this, it, yeah. you could see it was affecting is, him as he is, talked to people. The kids are making conversations happen. That's awesome. And the cable news networks covered it live. And that's great. And the cable news can make money on it as well. In other news, First Lady Melania Trump's parents likely relied on family reunification process, a policy President Trump dislikes and has called chain migration yeah, chain. to obtain permanent residence in the U.S. So chain good. The Washington Washington Post reported Wednesday, sources close to the family told the Post that the father and mother are close to getting their citizenship status, but their attorney denied to say how they both uh, obtained their green cards. They are originally from Slovenia and are reportedly waiting to schedule their swearing-in ceremonies. This comes as the Trump administration has looked to crack down on chain migration as one way to curb immigration to the U.S. Hmm. Huh. Let's see. Can't they just say, we know a guy? Isn't that enough? Yeah, we know this guy. There's this guy. There's this guy we know. Uh, other news, we think we, uh, wireless networks, we think of smartphones and tablets and all these kind of things that we use. But in 2017, for the first time, more cars than phones were added to U.S. cellular, uh, cellular networks, according to a new report from industry consultants. Uh, AT&T dominates the connected car segment, noting that the company added 1 million or more cars to its network for each of the past 11 quarters. While there were more cars added, the money is still in smartphones, which have higher monthly service fees and generate the bulk of carrier revenue and profits. Still, as smartphone sales level off, other types of devices will become increasingly more important. Apparently, cars. More cars added to the wireless networks than phones in 2017. Really? Which is nuts. But people aren't upgrading their phones on the same rate as they used to because yeah. they're expensive and your phone's fine for a couple of years. And you can't drive your phone. No. Other findings, data consumption in the U.S. has reached 6 gigs a month in the U.S. The U.S. is third behind Finland and Korea on that metric and tops countries with populations of more than 60 million. U.S. smartphone penetration reached 93% of the country. T-Mobile is still outgrowing the competition, according accounting uh, for more than three-quarters of the net growth in wow. phones, though they are the third Carrier. Carrier in the U.S. When Hold it comes on, and to what's sheer Finland's deal? Well, they're a smaller country, but very connected. Yeah. And people use the data. That, it might be that uh, the smartphone is their computer. Right? Oh, that's true, huh? You're, you're sitting in front of a laptop. You also have your phone, that kind of thing. Maybe that's their sole use of the internet is through their phone, so they use more, yeah. and the total consumption per month is growing. That's probably why they're not winning any gold. Could be. They're distracted. They're on hey, their phones. Hey, come on now. Sorry. Had to go there. Why did the finish? Why do you have to go to the... Uh, also, finally, authorities say a man destroyed a suburban Detroit home while trying to use a smoke bomb to get rid of in a crawl space he thought had a skunk in it. Uh-oh. Uh, the Detroit Free Press reports the man's attempt sparked a fire uh, Monday that quickly spread from the crawl space to the first floor. The fire eventually spread through the walls and the attic and the rental property. Uh, fire Chief Kevin Sullivan says the house was a complete loss. The kicker, uh, no skunk carcass was actually found in the house. Uh, Sullivan says the department advises the people hire pest control professionals. But if someone is an absolute diehard do-it-yourselfer, he should at least read the warning labels on the product <laughs> you're trying to use. 
<laughs> One uh, firefighter had a so uh, like a sprained foot in the uh, putting out of that house fire. Yeah, there's there's got to be better ways to go after a skunk. Not a smoke bomb in a crawl space. Yeah. No. Mama said, "Don't ever put a smoke bomb in a crawl space." Pepe Le Pew. I think this was a different skunk. It could have been Pepe Le Pew. This woman could just not shake him. Wasn't that weird? Pepe Le Pew was like this overzealous. Yeah. He's a good Me Too moment example. <laughs> exactly. He, that was the Me Not Too moment too brought to you, brought to the cartoon world. Yeah. So many of those cartoons uh, don't measure up to standards that we're trying to have today no. as a society. So, do our kids need to see like a, a hypersexualized rodent mm. kissing on everything? Right. No. Or like Speedy Gonzalez is a little awkward nowadays. Yeah, yeah. that doesn't seem right. Uh, Tom and Jerry, uh-huh. like the, I my son's trying to watch some of the Tom and Jerry, but it's not the old ones where they're just really beating each other up. It's just kind of <laughs> you know sanitized Tom and Jerry, yeah. the Roadrunner cartoons. Yeah, they're not around as much because they're dropping things on each other, and like, the coyotes just getting beat up. So didn't you ever wonder how the coyote ever got? The and well, no, the Roadrunner, I guess, ever got the anvil. How did the Roadrunner move the anvil? No, to drop well, there's, it on the they, coyote. They showed delivery trucks. Yeah, delivery. They just drop off. So it was like UPS back. Well, it in said the, Acme. Yeah, they kept it generic, but yeah, yeah. I mean, did you buy that? I didn't have to. Who's going to drop it on the coyote? Who what cares? It, I never saw him pull money out. That Acme Corporation was quite. It was so nefarious. Mm. Yeah, this, yeah, they, they had. Oh. But they, were, they had their hands in a lot of They were the Amazon before <laughs> Amazon. Because yeah. they, they literally had everything you needed. Yeah. Whatever the Roadrunner wanted to use, he'd just get it from them. Mmm. Mmm. <laughs> um, okay, that's good news. That's really... So no smoke bombs when you're chasing <sighs> down skunks in your house. And if you need help, call Acme. Acme Rodent Removal. I always found that confusing when you're looking through the phone book and there's actually a company that used the word the name Acme. Yeah, or AAA. You always want to because you like, may not you guys may not Jeff probably never used yellow pages. Are you serious? He's not that the, with old. this again. He's not that young. Because I'm not a millennial. No, yeah. I've had the yellow pages and the white pages. I used them all growing up. You're a perennial. Hmm. Um I do walk them right to the recycling bin when I get them. I used to I used to pay for yellow page ads. Wow. Because that's how the business ran 15 years ago. Mm. But Did you get any business through the yellow pages? A lot of business. Really? It was very easy What money. would people search to find you? Marriage help. Why don't wow. you Why don't you put out an ad now and tell us what response you get today? Yeah, no, no. Now I'm not going to do that because no one uses those anymore. At least not hmm. to the rate that they used to. Yeah. You don't. You probably don't want people to associate your business with the negative emotions that overcome them when they receive the yellow pages and the trees that were lost. Do you have other uses that would be more productive? So you open your front door, the books, the yellow book, whatever is sitting there. What do you do with it? Besides just what I do, toss it well, in the recycling bin. Well, we used to use we'll it as a booster seat. You're right. And mm-hmm. you could, you know, sit up taller in the chair. Understood, but. Now there's not much more you can do with it. Hmm. 
I mean, there's the lofty end of the table, but it might be kind of thick to just yeah. prop under the table. So yeah, it's it's hard now. Would a child a find it tree. instructive somehow to see what one of these? I'd like to show my child one, but I can't find one. Hmm. I mean, they used to be they they used to be wonderful things, and you wanted so there was like every there was like just a a plumber a dentist double a plumber hmm. double a triple a plumber i do quadruple get, a yeah. plumber hmm. i do think it's funny every time i see a business usually like a pizza place that's like yeah double a yeah. pizza place a pizza for everyone yeah <laughs> what yeah. Change the name. Those were the days. Those were the days. Hey, up next, we are going to be talking about what lessons we can learn from Chinese philosophers. A wonderful uh, interview with, um, in fact, one of my favorite interviews, a professor from Harvard, I do believe, uh, Michael Pewitt, one of the top professors uh, at Harvard, teaching a class on uh, Chinese philosophy. We're going to be learning a lot. Straight ahead on The Matt Townsend Show. Billions of people and thousands of years of civilization in China has resulted in plenty of thoughtful insight on how to live a fulfilled life. So from all of that information, what should we in the Western world take to heart? A good place to start would be the book, The Path, What Chinese Philosophers Can Teach Us About the Good Life. As Confucius said, real knowledge is to know the extent of one's ignorance. And not long ago, I spoke with co-authors of the book, Harvard professors Michael Pewitt and uh, author uh, Christine Gross-Lowe. I began the interview by asking, why are the lessons of China becoming so popular in the West? I think there's a strong perception at the moment that we're hitting a crisis, that for many decades now we've been telling each generation to look within, try to find yourself, find your true self, and then live your life trying to be authentic and sincere to who you truly are. And that's the way to live your life on your own terms, to be who you were meant to be. And part of what I think people are finding now, especially with this current generation, is that a lot of these ideas are perhaps even restraining us. And the students are looking for other ideas, for hmm. different visions of how to grow as a human being, as opposed to simply being um, sort of restrained or even constrained to the vision of who they think they might be at age 15, 20, <laughs> etc. It's really true. Huh? They, they, we have our kids trying to figure out who they are. And is that... I mean, are they are they on the right track, or it seems like sometimes we th- we teach that uh, Chinese culture and those philosophers would teach us more about you know isolation, maybe the Buddhist monk that sat up on top of the mountain in solitude um, to find oneself. But uh, talk to us, Christine, about that. Is are we off in what these these philosophers taught, or or what really did they teach? I think that's, I mean, that's such a great example of a sort of Western romanticized and misunderstanding, you know, a a misunderstanding of what um, many Asian philosophies were about. And it's also very telling that, um, you know, someone meditating on a mountaintop by himself, that that is the figure that we 
have um, taken to represent um, what Asian philosophy is about. Really, so many of these philosophies, especially the ones that we talk about in the past, are about um, you know engaging with the world, not retreating from it. And I think that the fact that you know that these are that the isolated figure on the mountaintop is the sort of um, predominant image that we have of Asian philosophy is problematic, and it also tells us a lot about what we in the West um, valorize. Mm. And, um, you know, I think that this this is not, in my opinion, a very good thing. I think that um, for us to teach that you need to sort of focus on yourself and retreat from the world and that it's all about you is in part what has led to such a cultural crisis of values. And um, these ideas that talk about the fact that none of us is alone in the world, that we are always engaging with others, that we cultivate, when we cultivate ourselves um, to be the best that we can be in relation to other people, I mean, that's not all that they were talking about, but that, that's a, you know, certainly a part that we do talk about in our book, then I think that that is, um, that points the way toward a better society, a better world, and a better self as well. It's so true. You almost can see many of uh, many of us in the United States. We might love our own little mountain where we can go pontificate and yell all of our you know beliefs and philosophies. Um, but as we've been talking about so much on my show, our need to our need to also uh, understand the whole and the bigger picture of that we are, you know, that we are in a relationship with everyone else in this world, that's critical as well. Do you see, is that, Professor Pewitt, is that why you have so many of the students there at Harvard uh, clamoring to get in your class? I think that's absolutely the case. I think this is a generation that's been raised very much in the ideology that you've been mentioning. You know, everyone on their own mountain strive to be your best self and, and ignore the world around you. And I think the current generation is realizing it's an ideology that's failing them. Hmm. And exactly as you said, they are now realizing that, no, the way you can become a great human being is precisely through the relationships you build. And by building a flourishing world around one, one can flourish, but of course everyone else flourishes too. And it's really by the work we do, building great relationships, building great worlds around us, that is really our, our life's goal. It's so true. And it's it, sadly, we seem to only know kind of the philosophers by their, you know, trite little phrases. They're not trite, but they're, 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 they're you know, perfect meme length phrase. But they didn't teach by just a sentence, right? They, didn't they teach? How did they teach? Yes, you're exactly right. I mean, we hear these little, as you said, meme-like statements from a Confucius, and we hear a sentence here and a sentence there. But actually, what they really taught was about daily life. And what really intrigued them is the ways in just the very ways we interact with people on a daily basis in our very mundane activities. That's the place, they say, where either we can become stuck in, in patterns and ruts that hold us back, that hurt our relationships, or conversely, it's where we can grow as human beings, hmm. building great relationships, working with those around us, slowly becoming over time and really training ourselves to become over time a wonderful human being in the sense of being able to actually respond to those around us and, and help everyone around us. Oh, and we need, to, we need to learn about it. We need to get it out there. Christine, how did you uh, meet Professor Pewitt? How did, how did the journalist and the professor get together to start writing the book? 
Oh, well, let's see. I, um, I actually did a doctorate at Harvard myself um, years ago, and it was in East Asian history. So I knew of Professor Pugh. We overlapped at Harvard for a little bit. Um, but then I went, uh, I graduated, I decided not to go into academia. And, um, but, you know, as I became a freelancer, and as I, um, you know, I was living in Cambridge, and I was hearing about this course at Harvard that was famous, um, that was growing and growing. And I reached out to um, Professor Pewitt and asked if I could sit in on the course. And then I decided to write an article about it. Um, that was in the Atlantic. And, um, you know, that article got so much attention right away that we um, we decided to write a book together to bring it out to a much wider audience. That's great. So the book, The Path, What Chinese Philosophers Can Teach Us About the Good Life, is that the content from the classroom? Well, it's the content from the, it's not, it's definitely not all the content whatsoever. Yeah. Um, but the course is, is quite long. And in fact, the second half of the course focuses on um, political theory. And we, um, we focus in the book a little bit more on the first half of the course, um, which is um, the, the entire course, the official name of it is um, Chinese political and ethical theory. So, um, you know, we focus on the things that people can do in their everyday lives to become good human beings um, and touch a little bit on some of the issues that come up in the rest of the course. But no, it would have been impossible. Um, there's just, you know, there there is, we, we would like to think of this book as a sort of supplement, but certainly not a replacement. Um, there's nothing like being in the course itself. Yeah, right. To really experience the, you know, his Professor Pewitt's dynamic lecturing style and the teachings of these philosophers. That's fantastic. I mean, really, this is um, the, more and more. It seems like we are we're wanting to kind of dive into to the excellent professor on a campus in any location that has kind of mastered a certain subject, and especially the way in teaching people. Uh, I, I mean, I, you got to get it on film, Michael. Let's get going. Let's get it out there. <laughs> Actually, I would love to. Yes, I, I think getting these ideas out to as many people as possible is just so important. Oh. Ideas are. Yeah. Um, let's do this. I want to get into the ideas and, and even maybe have you run through some of the, the great misunderstandings that we have uh, with, with the Chinese philosophers. Absolutely. So just on the points you mentioned, we often will say to ourselves, well, my goal is to look within, find myself, be true to my, myself, and that's the way I live my life on my terms. And often we think of Chinese philosophy, and Confucius in particular, as sort of the antithesis of this, someone who just says, well, do lots of rituals, and presumably in rituals we're trained how to behave in life. And we think this is a bad thing, because it it's, means we're learning from rituals how to be, as opposed to looking within. So here's the intriguing thing. Confucius they do rituals, but his understanding of rituals is very different from our own. What he will say is, we as human beings are messy, and we tend to fall into kind of patterns and ruts with each other, where I will draw out negative um, emotions from those around me by doing things often that I'm not aware of, and they will do the same. And over time, these ruts can kind of harden, which is why entire relationships can be defined for years, even decades in these very negative emotions of angers and jealousies and resentments. Now, the reason Confucius would say do rituals is rituals are designed to break you from that. And what you're doing in a ritual is, for a brief moment, you become a different person, relating to those around you in a different way, drawing out different emotions, 
And by doing that, you're slowly training yourself to break from these ruts that hold us back. Mm. So the goal of rituals actually is to, to use one of Confucius's terms, to overcome the self, the self begin, being again defined as these ruts, and slowly work on the process toward becoming a good, humane person. Holy cow, because there's a lot of research on rituals in marriage as a tool yeah. to reunite and strengthen the marriage, probably because it takes us out of our selfish self and into our kind of intentional selflessness. That is precisely right. Precisely. That is we cool. We look down on rituals, but yes, it's, we have tons of evidence saying, actually, it's the exact opposite. Rituals, as you said, break us from the lesser sides of ourselves and allow us to grow as human beings with those around us. Yeah, and again, but we, I, I think that's it. We, we think uh, he was getting into the ritual to just get more into himself. Exactly. But it's the opposite. Precisely the opposite. He's breaking himself. Yeah. Indeed. Perfectly put. Is it not breaking about the, the self life. then? Is it? I mean, it's interesting. Um, talk to me about that, Christine, because is that is, – are we not to find ourself in ourself? Well, you know, I think that what I um, when 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 Michael was talking about, you know, thinking of ourselves as messy selves, not coherent true selves. Yeah. There's a lot to this um, because we are, if you think about it, we are all different at every moment. We um, we are different with one person, different in this situation, that situation. Different sides of ourselves come out. Different aspects of ourselves come out, and um, it's you know the idea is that it's better to think of yourself as a messy self bumping up against um, other messy selves out there in the world because that is a better way to sort of work on yourself and your reactions, your mm. dispositions, is that rather than thinking of yourself as a true self, which, um, you know, once you define yourself that way, it's kind of like taking a, a snapshot of yourself at a moment in time, and that makes it really difficult to grow if you're you're defining and labeling yourself as, you know, a hothead or I'm the jealous type or, you know, I, I'm a hard worker, et cetera. I mean, all these things are true in one moment of our lives, but it doesn't have to be what defines us as a whole. Hmm. No, and you can totally see that. I mean, this idea that um, you almost need to be bumping into people messy self after messy self, but then I guess yeah. if you could fall back into your rituals, then um, – yeah then you might, I guess, learn how to handle those right. different... You can, work, you can work on your reactions, your, um, you know, and, and sort of keep cultivating yourself so that eventually your best self, your best, you know, your best reaction is what comes forward, not the sort of... I mean, if we were always acting according to our base feelings, our first reaction, you know, the world would be at a very unpleasant place. And indeed, many people do react um, sort of spontaneously from just how they think they feel in the moment. Yeah. So is that what is meant by authentic self is when you are more aligned to your virtuous side, I guess your healthier you, your higher purpose? Yeah. I mean, they would say think of the self as what we're building over the course of a lifetime. So it's not what you happen to be at a current moment, as Christine said. It's not the sort of thing where you can say, oh, I just am the sort of person who has a bad temper, who does X, Y, and Z, but that's just me, and I should love myself for who I am. On the contrary, they would say, no, 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 you build a self over a lifetime, and you build a self either badly by falling into these ruts and not growing, 
or you build a great self by growing through these relationships, training yourself to sense how you can help those around you, how to care for those around you. And over time, you become, if you through this training, a person who's incredibly well, sort of just incredibly good at sensing people around you, working to help those around you. And that's a self you're creating over time. And you're, I guess, allowing, that allows you to forgive yourself because when you're blowing it and you've just messed it up, okay, just turn back and continue your progress. Absolutely. I mean, the view is this is a lifelong process Hmm. that's never-ending. We're just getting ever better at doing it. And therefore, as you said, we're failing constantly, (laughs) constantly. And yet the failure is part of what you're doing. If you're not striving to push yourself out of these ruts and grow, you won't fail, but then you'll become complacent and dangerously unable to work with those around you. If you're trying to grow, you'll fail constantly. But as you said, through those failures, you'll continue to grow as a human being. Hmm. What about all of these? And I maybe it was just even racist. I don't know. But uh, examples where, you know, somebody would go to the master, the Zen master, and the Zen master would not teach them because they weren't ready to learn. Um, um, I don't know. I always think of Kung Fu that I watched growing up and the guy was not ready, but he, I don't know. But where did, where's the idea? Because to me, this teaches some pretty powerful principles of discipline, but is that part really of uh, Chinese philosophy? It's a great question, and you're right. This is one of our big stereotypes. Yeah. And it's very much the opposite. The okay. is all of us are equally messy creatures at birth, um, right. and therefore in danger of falling into these ruts, which is our, our huge danger as human beings, and then become complacent in those ruts, but equally capable of growing as human beings. And one of the things they're deeply committed to is this is equally true of all of us. We're equally messy creatures, equally filled with dangers, but equally filled with great potential. So we don't have to play, which is weird, because in the United States, we talk more about start from your strength, but you keep mentioning our messiness. So kind of start from your messiness. Yes. I mean, we think this is, of course, a great way to get ahead. Play to your strengths, recognize your weaknesses, but then avoid things that that your weaknesses would hold you back in and focus on the things that you're really good at doing. Now, of course, they would say the exact opposite. Things you think you're good at doing it may, in fact, be something you've become good at doing, but those are just certain patterns you've fallen into. And by the same token, things you think you're bad at doing are, again, simply patterns and ruts you've fallen into. So they would say intentionally train yourself across the board, but very, therefore very much including what you think you're bad at. Actually, that precisely is, is the area where you could actually open up things you would not even be able to imagine. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Uh, Christine, talk about mindfulness because – it seems like the uh, everybody today is talking about mm-hmm. mindfulness, and yeah. and yet I guess Chinese philosophers weren't necessarily about mindfulness. Well, you know, it's interesting. I think that the one overlapping sort of concept would be that of sort of being attentive to what you are doing or what – I mean, in mindfulness, it's what you're feeling and observing, you know, observing your feelings, um, but – I think that what makes this more dynamic and engaged than that, which um, the the current definition of mindfulness as it is in in our culture and you know and as it is popularized, um, I think can 
lead people to the danger of complacency and lack of engagement, of acceptance, of accepting all their feelings as being okay, of accepting everything as being okay, and sort of using mindfulness as a tool to come to a place of peace. Um, and, you know, there's there's some merit in this as long as it doesn't make you too complacent, too accepting to the point where you don't want to cultivate yourself, you don't want to grow, and you don't want to engage. And so the philosophers that we talk about in our book really have very practical, doable um you know, lessons about how to engage with the world in every moment. And at every moment, you can um, work on becoming a better person who will make the world a better place, um, hmm. starting with people around you. Yeah. it's um, it, it just seems like this theme of experiencing, learning as you go, changing, growing, like with a demand to grow, right? I mean, it sounds mm-hmm. like there there's not just – don't just float – through life. I mean, become a change agent and start with yourself and then work with other people to create growth. Right. Powerful. Exactly. What, um, is, and we'll, we'll give you both a chance to do it. What, what stands out for you, Michael? Um, what is one of your favorite lessons? The lesson, too, that you feel like you most bring home to your, your family, your life, your personal life. What, what lessons are most, you know, into your heart? Without question, I would say the notion that in practice we are capable of becoming such extraordinarily better human beings than we think. And that's fine to say in the abstract, but what's really powerful is when you start doing what they're advocating, these little rituals in which we're training ourselves to become better, it is amazing how quickly you begin experiencing the world differently, opening up your perspectives, and becoming more able to work with people, develop better relationships. And it's something that works incredibly well in practice. Mm. And I found it incredibly moving. It's such a push against so many of our assumptions about the self and so many of our assumptions about just accepting yourself for who you are. And you realize very quickly in practice that, no, no, we are capable of being so much more than we think we are capable of. Yeah. And it's, I guess, too, it's so, it's spiritual, yet intuitive, it was so intuitive they they just discerned it. They were, I mean, I'm sure highly, highly, highly gifted people, but um they also just intuited the the change that needed to be there and keep it simple. Yes. I think part of what's powerful about it, as I tell my students, is we often do little bits of what they're talking about. So we kind of intuitively get what they're talking about. We just don't do it very well because we're so committed to this view that oh, I just am who I am, and I right. should love myself for who I am. And when, on the contrary, you really start doing what they're advocating, in other words, more of the little things we kind of know but just don't really do, but if you really do them, you realize that, that their vision of the self is not only much more powerful than our own, um, they're really onto something profound. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Christine, what was your biggest lesson? What stands out most for you personally? Well, um, so I have four children, um, four children ranging in age from 6 to 15. And um, I think that what what really hit home for me was the idea of, you know, we there is this mantra of self-acceptance and then playing to your strengths and teaching your children to sort of figure out who they are and what they're going to be able to do best in life. And, 
And I think that this really sort of turned all of that on its head for me. And um, now when I talk to them and what I try to teach them is to not think about who they are, but to to choose to do things precisely because it's not them, Mm. precisely because it doesn't fit their image of who they are. Because I think that when they, you know, when they do that, that offers more opportunity from breaking from the self, overcoming the self, as um, Confucius said, and and then growing from there. Mm. That's that's. It's so counterintuitive, isn't it? But do, mm-hmm, because exactly. we want to probably protect our egoic self, and instead, mm-hmm. this helps to break it. Well, beautiful, mm-hmm. uh, wonderful stuff. And so, I'm assuming that the book, The Path: What Chinese Philosophers Can Teach Us About the Good Life, is that a great place for just us lay folk to start? Absolutely, yes. No, I we we try to pick the very best of everything that has inspired Michael's students, inspired him and myself, and and write them up in the book. So I I do think it's a great place to start. Beautiful. Well, I highly suggest it. Um, Dr. Michael Pewitt, uh, Dr. Christine Grosslow, thank you both so much for spending this time with us. It's been such an honor. Thank you You so much. And beautiful lessons for all of us to see the good in the world. And remember, that light and goodness is everywhere, folks. It's everywhere. It's been in every culture. It's somewhere there in the hearts and the minds. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Trying to broaden your mind as we uh, help you find the good in the world. We'll be right back. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. It's time now to go to our empty news uh, anchor, Jeffrey Liam Simpson. Jeffrey? Do you get frustrated, Matt? Yes. When, uh, oh. oh, yeah, Sorry. let me finish. Okay. So we here at BYU Broadcasting, we have very limited time during the show, yeah. and our bodies aren't always cooperating with us, right? What, what do you mean? Well, I mean, sometimes we just need to go to the bathroom, yeah. and our bodies don't care what time it is or what part it's of the show time we're time to go. Right? So we head into the bathroom, and there is one uh, stall in there. Yeah. Okay. Which makes it very difficult when at the closest you have restaurant. a couple of minutes at the most, yeah. and there's somebody in there yeah. all the time. That's Doesn't why matter when I go, there's always somebody I in I always there. have Terry save uh, my spot. Really? It's a reservation thing. See, I, maybe, I didn't know. I didn't see that spreadsheet where you have to reserve yeah. your time. He actually takes a traffic cone and just puts it nice. in there. Yeah. So it's very frustrating because you'll come back 20 minutes later, and sure enough— that same person is still there. Well, yeah, he's watching. Yeah, he's watching an episode on Netflix. Right. You. That's what we assume, right? Mm-hmm. So I was thinking, uh, there's got to be something that can be done to get things turned around huh. faster, so yeah. that we can all have a turn. We can get back to work, no <laughs> problems, right? But I also don't want to have to talk to anybody. You shouldn't have to say, right? Uh, excuse me, you've been in there for thirty minutes. Hey, pal. So uh, I did some research. Online, yes, and it turns out there's actually a product that might solve what? all of my problems. Great. Ever take a bathroom break at work and find the one and only toilet occupied every day, right? Oh, man. You come back ten minutes later and you see the same pair of feet at the bottom of the stall. Oh, man. Your co-worker's been there the whole time, playing on their cell phones. Singing. Or even sleeping. Well, then you need Commode Explode. Commode Explode is a patent-pending device you secure to the inside of a toilet bowl. 
which gives bathroom patrons three minutes to finish their business before the commode explode finishes it for them. With Commode Explode, you can ensure quick turnaround without having to say a single word to another human being. Because let's face it, talking to your coworkers is awkward enough without having to tell them to hurry it up already in the bathroom. So if you just want to use the facilities and keep on living your passive-aggressive life, install Commode Explode today. Commode Explode. Get in, get out, or else... Wow. I think I need that. Do we have it in the BYU uh, broadcasting budget to install those in every toilet? Commode explode. It seems a little violent. No. I mean the, the, the commode itself does not explode. There's just a bit of a geyser. Yeah, that, but – You know, a little spring of water that shoots up. You, you're, you're saying a little spring. It sounds like more of a, a you know, a well, water I, I turbine I haven't on. used it. I don't yeah. – I don't have the money for it. <laughs> but Komodo explode. Maybe, don't you maybe think, what you ought to do is just just get a cone. Don't you think that would help with the turnaround, though? Just put in a Komodo explode. What we need is a we need like a valet. We need somebody in there that that you know keeps a little pressure on people to get in and out. Excuse me, sir. I think you've had enough. Do you need a towel? <laughs> <laughs> then you just yeah, somebody there that you know gives you some gum and some. I was thinking maybe I'll put a sign on the inside of the stall that says this toilet is equipped with commode explode. You have three minutes. Well, now that you, now that we've now that we're advertising it, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people are going to move more. Well, yeah, well, maybe, and it, we don't even have to get one. Maybe the sign is enough. Yeah, you know, all the it. people that uh-huh. just want the sign yeah. but they don't want to pay for the security. That's right. That's right. Not a bad idea. I think it. I think it could work. You're on to something. Hey. Um, have you ever wanted to uh, go to a chicken nugget festival? You know what? As a little kid, I did. <laughs> I did once for for like a, about a minute. It's funny, though, because you think chicken nuggets are, are only for kids, but they never end up eating them. No. They just, they just want to get to the playground. They don't want the food. So then the parents have to eat them because you don't want to waste food because right. there's people in other countries that don't have food. So there's actually, for the first time ever, there's going to be a chicken nugget festival, mm. and it's going to take place in London. Really? Yes. So the event aims to celebrate those little golden hunks of questionable white meat. <laughs> it's going to be taking place on ele- uh, August 11th in London and uh, the September 22nd in Manchester. So it's like a traveling chicken nugget festival. Yeah. So uh, let's see. You've got breaded, baked, battered mm. chicken nuggets, mm. all sorts of different chicken nuggets. Yeah. No variety will be left out. Oh, and there's going to be a chicken nugget eating competition, of course, that'll see two incredible individuals being crowned the Nugget King and the Nugget Queen. The Big Nugget. Why do they have to discriminate? Can't they just all come together? It's like it's like the Academy Award. Do they need a Best Actress and Best Actor Award? Right. Or should they all just be the best nugget? Hmm. <laughs> it's funny. That, see how that goes. Yeah. I'm not going to mention the connection between this, these two stories that we just shared. But anyway, um, hopefully <laughs> – we're going to take a break here pretty soon. I'll, I'll go to the bathroom and, and put up that yeah, sign. We'll see how that line works Get for you. Get people moving. Well, uh, we've got so much more to cover. One more hour straight ahead. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world.
This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the show. Dr. Matt here along with Jeff and Terry the gang, we've all gathered, folks, to do what we can to help you live longer, love stronger, and lead healthier lives. Today, no exception, we'll be doing a little uh, uh, executive coaching today. We'll be talking about organizational culture, the importance of really one of your greatest competitive advantages, maybe your ability to put people together and get them to work together. Sean Moon will be t- joining us to uh, to talk about that. Plus, of course, we'll have a quick little visit with our good friends from BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's coming up on their show. We'll do a hero of the day. And uh, so much, so much that we're trying to cover here. By the way, if you happen to have missed our any of our earlier shows, any of the 1,450 other shows that we've done here at BYU Broadcasting, all you got to do is go download the BYU Radio app. Mm-hmm. Just go into your app store. Whatever that may be. Whatever that is. And download it. And then you can check us also out on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you know you pick up your podcasts. Or you can just go to your Echo, uh, Amazon Echo unit and say, Alexa. You said it. Yeah, I just said it. Play the Matt Townsend Show podcast. Wonk. And we'll pop right up and we'll talk to you every morning. It's just that simple. Or or because it's a voice assistant. It'll be, I did not hear you. Come again. As they all do. My wife has <laughs> – my wife really – Siri has a hard time with my wife and so does Alexa. These two virtual assistants don't get my wife's voice. I told her it's she needs to – she needs to speak with a deeper tone. Ooh. I don't know. Drop your resonance? Yeah. The new uh, Apple just put out their – Sort of, they have a speaker. Yeah. It oh, yeah. A, it has a voice assistant. It's called the HomePod. Yeah, and it leaves a white ring. On on high-end wood, wood services. <laughs> Only the high-end. So, I mean, if you have just sort like of- Like if you have a cheap kind of Ikea throwback. You're fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> it's only the expensive stuff that it ruins. Oh, that's sad. Yeah. Um, but they're, the voice assistant on there, uh-huh. that's brand new. They just created this. It's new technology. They made maybe the software they have. No, nah, it's all the same. It's all garbage. It's all the same. Don't call it garbage. It is hot garbage. That leaves a white ring. Now, the speaker apparently is awesome. Is but it? the voice assistant software that is on your phone and tablets and I, no matter if it's Google or Apple yeah. or Windows, it's all – it always goes, I did not hear you. Or it tells you the exact different thing that you asked. Mm. There are or so it, many things you can do with those things. My though. favorite is you ask it a question and it gives you a web page. Well, oh, I yeah. could have just done that myself. Yeah, Thanks. I could have just Googled that. We found this online. Thank you. That's so useless. we now have two. We have the Google one. So mm. do we. And we have the Echo Alexa. Why do you have both? Well, because people give them to oh, okay. us as gifts. You had no control over the no. entry. Yeah. The problem is you. all they are are just more subscriptions. They are. They, send, they want you, you to buy things. That's yeah. the point. And if you want to play music mm. – do you, you have put to them, buy music? Do you sometimes put them together and have them duke it out? Oh yeah, that mine are fighting. We we sat them side by side, and they just started dueling each other. <laughs> it was it was crazy, mm. scary. 
Dueling virtual assistants. There you go. DVAs. You throw your phone in there just to confuse it more. Hey, Siri. Boink. Mm. And off they go. Your your phone just triggered, by the way. Oh, it did. Sorry, Siri. (laughs) My ears are burning. (laughs) You're okay, Siri. Are you talking about me? Relax. I don't understand. Yeah. Hey. Your phone, it's hit. Sorry, Siri. Hey, 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 hey. But I could search the web for it. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. We're all friends here. <laughs> anyway, doing what we can to make your life easier. I, I, I bet in that moment when someone said, hey, Google. Is that what you say? Yes. I believe that's the trigger. So we just probably set off another one. Yep. Or Alexa. And there you go again. There we go again. Mm-hmm. Or ha- Yolanda. Yolanda? Some of them you can change the uh, trigger word. Oh, I see. And if you change your trigger word, it'll make it easier for you because you don't have to have someone saying, hey, Alexa, and then your Alexa goes off. All you got to do, though, is say, hey, Alexa, find the Matt Townsend Show podcast, Hmm. and we'll be right there. Every morning, right when you wake up. A lot of people, a lot of people I know like to wake up, and before they even get out of bed, they say, hey, Alexa... Let's play, play the Matt Townsend Show podcast or play BYU radio and it'll come on and you'll hear us live. This is sounding more and more like a plug for the show. This show brought to you by the Matt Townsend Show podcast. Hmm. My trigger word is uh, or phrase, I guess, would be let's have a meeting. That usually sets me off a little bit. Yeah, you get weirded out by that. We had a meeting yesterday, and you don't even come sit by us. You No. I actually, I come in about 10 minutes late. Why? I think it was because of me and what's going on. With the pink eye. Yeah. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. you come in 10 minutes late, and I stay towards the top. Yeah. Because I tend to just kind of slip out the back. So you come a little through. late, and yeah. you leave a little early. Actually, a lot early, probably. But yeah. I mean, I know you've got – you normally are – got to get home to the family. Yeah, and I went through all my excuses in my head yesterday, and there was just only one that kept resonating, and it's, I don't want to go to the meeting. But wow. That's – it's just not a good attitude. <laughs> what did I miss? I mean, you no, know. No, it was a great meeting. It was great. How much about radio did we talk? No, but we learned a lot about – TV. But a lot about the great things that are coming. There's okay, a lot great. of awesome shows hmm. that you'll be seeing on BYU Radio and TV, actually. Hmm. You'll be seeing them on TV and listening to them on radio. Sure. A lot of stuff coming down. That's great. There's a. Oh, I'm excited about. I, we I, Dwight I, in shining armor. I wanted to see that, but trailer. I don't know that we're supposed to announce that yet. Oh, uh, <clears throat> that's why I didn't say it. <laughs> Dwight Jeffrey. in shining armor. Anyway, great stuff coming up. And, Wonderful, and it'll be good because the Olympics will be ending this Sunday. Luckily, Ivanka will be there with um, Sarah, Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Yeah, she'll be there taking care of that. Um, also, in the news, we've just got to cover the fact that. Uh, those uh, students that were at this high school where there was a shooting, 17 people Mm -hmm. killed in Florida, they've been making the rounds, and I think they've been doing a great job. They've been on CNN. They've went to the White House, some of them, and they went to the Tallahassee, Florida uh, Capitol Capitol building. They're doing everything they can to push back on. If you saw the video yesterday, there was probably several hundred people outside surrounding the Capitol building. Yeah. And then inside the building, up 100 students that were actually survivors of the shooting right. were in, walking around talking to legislators. This they're, is great. Honestly, this, this is great learning. I mean, a horrible way to go about it. But they're learning about, you know, politics and how movements start. And we had a sit-in when I was in high school, and the, the news came. And I don't remember why, but it was really fun. We missed 
like half a day of school. <laughs> but that's what you remember of it. That's right? what I remember. The, this these is kids, this, these people have a movement. They have something going have on around, here. Yeah, usually it's like, oh, the kids are just trying to get out of class. Yeah. No, but this is turning into something bigger. Now, will it actually move to something? else beyond just you know you have this sort of energy right now and then in a week it dissipates you you were talking earlier about how it needs to continue through november to have really any lasting Mm. effect and that's kind of a big well the problem is they're all out of school in june right so it may not but and then meanwhile you have the nra chief because the national uh rifle association they're meeting they have their big meetings Mm -hmm. right now and the NRA chief, Mr. LaPierre, just warned of socialist movement in speech that goes beyond guns. That's kind of what's happening now. Yeah, he was talking about how the gun laws, if they're changed, that's hurting um, law-abiding citizens. Yeah. If we change the laws, that's hurting law-abiding citizens. But now the president is saying, hey, we probably need some legislation, some changes. Age right. may be a change for how old you should be to get guns. He's talking about background checks. He's talking about mental health Bunk considerations. Stocks, mental health. I mean, this is at least we're doing something. Man, let's get to the rest of the headlines, Terry. What other news should we be paying attention to? Broward County, Florida Sheriff's deputies will soon start carrying rifles at county schools. Sheriff Scott Israel announced Wednesday the decision which has the backing of the superintendent of schools comes one week after a man opened fire on students at uh, Douglas High School, killing 17 with mm. a rifle. Yeah. Israel said the weapons will, will remain locked inside patrol cars when they're not being used. Officials said an armed police officer was present at the school during the massacre. During a listening session at the White House earlier, President Trump endorsed the idea of arming teachers as a way to stop mass shootings. So they're going to, I mean. Why, why stop with teachers? Why not arm all the children? Do that too, I guess. Hmm. More guns. I mean, if guns are the answer, then wouldn't it be more effective to have everybody with a gun? Not sure. Since so that the very thought of that sounds ludicrous. Right. But again, ideas. They're just ideas. Get ideas out there. See what yeah. happens. Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer want uh, Congress to break open the piggy bank. In a letter to House Speaker Paul Ryan and Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, the Democratic leaders demand increased funds to protect U.S. Election infrastructure from Russian interference. Yeah. Washington Post reported on Wednesday, Pelosi, the House Minority Leader, and Schumer, the top Democrat in the Senate, specifically request lawmakers appropriate $300 million to the FBI to fight potential meddling in the midterms later this fall. So now we're spending even more money on these elections. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. The minority leader cites special counsel uh, Robert Mueller's recent indictment of 13 Russians for interference in the 2016 election, warning that the most essential elements of America's democracy are under attack by a foreign adversary. But this is interesting because I guess they're at least admitting there was Russian involvement. The FBI? Well, no, the, the, whoever's going to invest $300 million. Well, no, the Democrats are asking the Republicans to do this. Yeah. Now comes the rubber the hits debate. the road yeah. is who's going to admit that what's happening when and how far are we going to go to protect the election since on the surface it looks like we've done nothing well, this to change is, yeah. from 2016. But this is a big deal, right? Because Russia was involved in the election. Right. Somehow. 13 people were indicted for this. They'll never see a courtroom because they're in Russia, but... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Amazon now worth more than two and a half times its bigger brick-and-mortar counterpart, Walmart. Thanks to slowing e-commerce growth this past holiday season, Walmart saw its biggest one-day drop in stock price in two years. It lost nearly $35 billion in market cap since Monday. Wow. Amazon, uh, fresh from its reporting its record of $1.9 billion in profit last quarter, 
earlier this month has seen its stock and market value rise about 7% since then. The difference in valuation comes despite Walmart having approximately three times Amazon's annual revenue and net income last year. Wow. So Walmart makes more money and is worth more money on but, paper, but it, when it comes to stock price, Amazon's the stock richer. Walmart is looking to the Wall Street is looking to the future. That's how you do stocks. Yeah. So Amazon is worth two and a half times more. But not what, just stock price. But what's scary about that is uh, remember Walmart supposedly put a bunch of businesses out of business. They did, and now Amazon is doing eating the Walmart's lunch. Well, online. Yeah, people still shop. Right. But I mean, but the, we also saw what uh, Sam's Club sh- shut down sixty stores. They did. So. I mean, that's scary. Hmm. What happens if Walmart, the giant, starts slipping? What's left? Your local neighborhood store that hasn't closed yet? Do you mean the Walmart neighborhood market? (laughs) No, 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 no. It'd be a different one. Uh, A veal liver costs considerably more than fruit. That's why I don't eat it. That's right. But trying to pass it off as fruit cost a German man considerably more than it would have been just to pay full price for the piece of meat. Really? Mm-hmm. The 58-year-old businessman scanned $58 worth of veal liver at the self-service checkout at his local grocer, but he said it was fruit. He even had it concealed in a fruit bag. Ooh. He was caught and has been jailed since December until uh, Munich District Court convicted him of theft. The man who had previously convictions for tax evasion and admitted to pulling the same self-service grocery trick three other times was fined uh, $256,000. Oh, wow. Ooh. An Australian expert uh, show uh, 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 studies, so there's been some studies done, they show customers don't feel as bad about stealing when they're dealing with a machine rather than a human. <laughs> really? <laughs> wow. It's because you're just stealing from like a, a robot, a machine. Right. And you can, Robots have machine, or they have feelings too. They have these stickers. You can just peel them off whatever product and put them on something else. Yeah, and walk up and scan it and walk out the door. Is it Man. stealing though when you're paying something? Hmm? Yes. Hmm? If you're supposed point, to, if you're supposed to pay thirty thousand dollars for your car, but you got it for three hundred, totally stealing. Partial stealing. Well, yeah, twenty-seven thousand nine hundred and. Actually, $700 of, yeah. Right. It's just partial. Stealing. So um, I guess we should not care about technology's feelings. Well, I mean, it is just a robot. You guys that's, are so that's rude horrible. to robots. I don't know why. Robots are people too. Maybe not. But I found that study both interesting and sort of common sense. Yeah. Right? Interesting that you would feel more comfortable stealing from a robot instead of when you go through a checkout with a human there. But at the same time, well, no kidding, because you don't have to actually interact with another person who's going to look at you and maybe catch you doing something. Yeah. The computer's just doing its thing. But, yes, I love technology. Absolutely. But then you don't have that checker that, like, calls you honey. Yeah. And that's kind of why I go to the self-check and you just get out the door. It would be so easy for them to put that function on those self-checkout stands. What would that sound like? How are you today, sweetie? See, you sound like Siri right See, there. skipping the actual grocery line checkout, they, you don't have someone asking you, do you need ICE or stamps? True. 
which is they always ask that where I go. I'm like, I don't need ice or stamps. Or or what, plastic or paper. Yeah. You know, you could just do grab whatever's there. You're good. And uh, then there's just like conversation it's, they want to have. Just check out the food. See, but that is the, that's the antisocial in you. Someday you're going to meet Flo like at the at another store and, and or, she'll be like, hey, Terry. Why or, is her name Flo? I don't know. It just seemed like a checker's name. Okay. Or, or they try to upsell you on whatever their in-store credit card is. Like, no, Would you just, like to give money to the children fund? That uh, That's the other thing. When you, You've given twice and then the third time you're like, no, and they kind of – you see kind of a hmm – what okay. do they what do they do with those phone numbers and emails? Because I never get any correspondence from my grocery store. Mm. Do they sell it off to somebody else? And that's why I'm always getting the robocalls yeah, and probably. emails. Yeah. yeah, that's it. Ah. Sorry. That's why you need a fake email and a fake phone number. Boy. Then they don't call you. They just call something that doesn't exist. Hey, have you heard that trick? That there, there's that song. I can't remember what group it's by, but it – the the song is they're singing digits of a telephone number eight seven 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 da, yeah that whatever it is yeah yeah apparently if you dial that phone number in it works at grocery stores oh wow really yeah find out what the song is Next, memorize the number to the ad and then yeah and then play it at a grocery store mm-hmm. and it works okay well we'll see. I'm gonna find out what that song is I bet you won't. <laughs> I bet you, you won't go through the effort. I no. just challenged him. He but doesn't have the motivation. He's actually doing it. He's he's well, on it right he, now. He's typing on the computer. Did you have another announcement for us from um, Krispy Kreme? Well, Krispy Kreme. Yeah. Um, people enjoy their donuts. Who and Krispy doesn't? Kreme likes to bring out some limited edition donuts. They're doing one for the Olympics. They're calling it the Hershey Gold Donut. Ooh. I'm saying it's for the Olympics. I'm not sure if it's actually for the Olympics, but it kind of fits with gold it's medals. It's a gold not... medal donut. So basically, what it, you got your glazed donut. Which yeah. people enjoy. Yeah. Just that's kind of their staple. They're, they're, they're tried and true. This is what we right. do best. And they cover it in uh, Hershey's Gold Bar, mm. which they rolled out earlier yeah. in the year. The Hershey Gold Bar made of with caramelized cream or creme, depending on your, creme. your vernacular there, uh, salty peanuts and pretzel bits. Oh, that's so like a caramel pretzel. And it's crunchy like a gold medal. And it's crunchy, metal. and it's kind of like a caramel glaze on the donut. So it's a caramel mm. glazed donut with all these crunchy pretzel and peanut bits. It sounds delectable. Right. It sounds wonderful. It's a Krispy Kreme golden donut. Right. With, uh, but I don't know that I... Peanuts and pretzels, a crunched up candy bar. I mean, I like the... Uh, yeah, okay. I'm just thinking, do I really want... Yeah, it sounds No, really you do. Well, why wouldn't you want that? Well, no, I would. In fact, I'm, I, there's a Krispy Kreme on the way home. That's kind of why I mentioned it. It's right off the side of the road. You Maybe just, I'll go get that for my Swing kids. right in there. Man. I'm I don't a... know if they have them quite yet, but, you know, they're talking about it. There is uh, Cadbury put out a, a, a commercial in England. Yeah. And they, the, the word cream, is it cream or creme? Mm, I think it you depends know? where you are. Well, they they pronounce it. They said officially, when it comes to a Cadbury egg, it is creme. Creme. And apparently, it caused a tidal wave of comment in the UK because they they thought it was cream for so long. Some yeah. people were mixed up, thought a cream creme, and so it's creme. It's creme. Just so you know. So when we referenced this, Don Shaline came running into the studio to tell us what it was. By then I had found it, but uh, leave it to Don O'Neill. So, or Don Shaline, Don sorry. O'Neill. 
No. Uh, so if so, you're saying if I enter that that number in eight six seven five three zero nine, what will you hear? Well, you'll you won't need your member's reward number. You just type in that number if you're not signed up with them, and it should work. Holy cow. Look at you. Look at you. You learn something every day with Jeff Liam Simpson. O'Neill. Hey, we are going to uh, continue the journey straight ahead. We'll be talking about organizational culture. One of the great advantages to having a company, um, where do you get the extra value from? If it's not from just hiring a bunch of people, it might be from how you get the people to work together. Sean Moon will be with us. Uh, Talking leadership straight ahead. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, when it comes down to business, at some point, you got to figure out how to get more with less. You can't always just keep hiring more people, buying more systems. There is a point where you need to get more from your people and with your people. And so who better to help us than one of our contributors? Sean Moon is joining us. He's currently the CEO of Zero Res Franchising System. It's a national carpet cleaning company. But Sean is a former executive vice president of Franklin Covey and spent more than 25 years uh, in leadership and management, sales and marketing uh, uh, leadership as well, and uh, also has written three books, including his most recent book, The Ultimate Competitive Advantage, Why Your People Make All the Difference, and uh, Six Practices You Need to Engage Them, along with Talent Unleashed. He's a good friend. Sean, thanks for being with us. Good morning, Matt. How are you? Good, brother. How are you doing? Um, well, I'm embarrassed to tell you, by the way, that I was one who could actually remember that phone that phone number from your previous segment. Could you really? See how that works? How those things imprint themselves I know. in your memory, isn't it? Repetition, repetition. repetition. And it also tells That's us what right. kind of music you listen to. <laughs> anyway, so, so talk about it, Sean. What um, I mean, we we all have, you know, we go to work, we have a bunch of coworkers, and the job of the leader somehow is to get us all to do more together. But it seems like that's that's a really hard job. You know, it is a hard job, but it is the job. Um, you know, as I've studied, uh, and I've, I have studied organizations for the last 30 years, and what sets great organizations apart from others, and it really does come down to a leadership issue. You know, we, we, we go to business school and we study things like strategy for a couple of years, and strategy is really, really important. But uh, at the end of the day, it's the people who execute the strategy. In fact, Harvard professor Michael Porter had this great statement. He, he, he says that uh, an A implementation of a B strategy is a whole lot better than a B implementation of an A strategy, huh. meaning it really kind of comes down to your people, what your people do, and how your leaders lead. That's the key differentiator. It's about it's about people, I guess. I mean, because they have to implement it, but you also you should get your ideas. I'm assuming from the people as well, and involve them in the process. Uh, but but I also know just in my own work that people 
they're the hard part, too. They're the ones that they all have their own opinion. They all have their own desire, their own need. How do you get it to all come together? Well, I mean, that is the trick. And think about uh, um, an organization, organizations that you have had some kind of experience that you would, you know, you're on a date on Friday night with your loved ones and, and you just feel compelled to tell the story, right, about some kind of positive, wonderful interaction you've had with uh, these organizations. It's, that's a very interesting question to ask, and I've asked that question around the country to thousands of people. And the interesting thing, Matt, is I tend to get the same organizations again and again hmm. and again. And there are a lot of other organizations in their space, but the thing that differentiates these organizations, the ones that we just are so excited to talk about, I've got to tell you the story. I've got to tell you the story is because the, they have you know, a culture. They have uh, just a simple way of, of, uh, of behaving. And that is, that's a big deal. I mean, you think people, it's sort of soft and, and lovey-dovey. At the end of the day, no, there is an economic driver to how we interact, how we treat one another. Uh, Deloitte organization did a really interesting study a few months ago, and uh, uh, the the question they were asking about a thousand CEOs around the country, around the world. This was a global study, uh, and they said, "What is it? What is on your mind um, more than anything else?" And <laughs> their their response was was actually pretty interesting. It was um, uh, culture, right? It comes down to. In fact, their words were that culture issues exploded, I like that word, hmm. onto the scene, rising to become the number one challenge that, that leaders are concerned with around the world. Explain so, culture to us. Explain the, the term. Well, um, or define really it's it. kind, of, kind of how you feel. But, but how I would define this, maybe three key things that, uh, that would suggest here's what culture is. Number one, it's the spoken and unspoken values, norms, and systems. Let me give you an example for that. Um, I, uh, I was with an organization some time ago, actually working with uh, some leaders of this organization, and I was in a nice, beautiful boardroom that we've all been in, right, with the beautiful mahogany table and the cherrywood walls and the, yeah. the you know, beautiful carpets. And I noticed on the wall over off to my right as I was – Setting at the head of this table, they were all sitting around the table in U-shaped form. And I noticed around the wall, on the wall, there was this beautifully framed copy of their organization's mission statement, their vision statement, and their values statement. And so I sent the folks off on their morning break, and I went and read the, the framed words, and I was kind of inspired. I thought these are some good words, so I thought I would test them. They come back from their break, and I asked everybody. So I mentioned on the wall is this beautifully framed copy of your mission, vision, values. Don't look at it, please. Can anyone tell me what it says? You ever been in a class where you're oh. leading a discussion and the eyes just sort of go down because no one wants to be called? Yeah. So I said, don't, don't quote it. Just give me the gist of what it says. And no one could answer the question. Right? Oh. So, so my question to them was, so what's the point of that? It's on the wall, and that's nice. But is it in the hearts and is it in the behavior? So that's the first thing. The spoken and unspoken values, norms, and systems. Number two, it's the nature of the relationships. It's how we treat one another. And you know, Matt, when you go into an organization that has a strong, healthy culture, you just feel it as you walk in the door, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. 
In fact, I could ask you to name three organizations right now that you love to give your hard-earned money to because the experience is so delightful. Um, and you could come up with those, right? Oh, yeah. You could also come up with 20 that don't feel that way. <laughs> right. And the third is, is the collective behavior of your people. This idea of I'm the fly on the wall and I can't get into your head or your heart, but I see people interacting. That's what tells me what the culture is, how they solve problems, how they treat one another, how the boss treats the employee, how the employee treats the customer, how the customers feel when they walk in, how the employees treat one another. That's what we mean when we say culture. It's the spoken and unspoken values, norms, and systems. It's the nature of the relationships, and and it's how we treat one another, collective behavior of your people. And it seems like that, um, I mean, meanwhile, they could sell cars, or they can sell Mm -hmm. widgets, or they can, you know, whatever, but the widgets and the cars aren't the key, or it's kind of like those are the bricks, but the mortar would be that holds it all together are the values, spoken and unspoken, relationships, and behavior. Exactly. And you really, in, in my work in working with organizations literally across the world, it really doesn't matter what they do. Right. You know, it could be a brick-and-mortar retail operation. I thought your discussion this morning was interesting around, you know, the, the nature of online versus uh, – versus brick and mortar. It could be producing widgets, could be, you know, producing airline parts, whatever. Um, But here's one of the key things around culture. And Deloitte actually asked this question. So they came back and said, all right, we get it. Culture matters. It means means everything. It is, this is the title of my book, it is the ultimate competitive advantage. I mean, think about your favorite mall where you have the two anchor stores, one on either end. They sell the same merchandise. You choose to go to one versus the other for very specific reasons, one of which is how you're treated, how you are made to feel. It's the culture of the organization, right? So Deloitte asked this question, all right, we get it. It's important. Then they follow up with this really penetrating kind of poignant um, question. So why are so few leaders and organizations doing anything about it, hmm. right? That, that, is the, that is the big question. What's the answer? Why aren't they on it? I mean, it is, I guess it's, is it just seen as too soft? Is it seen as not tangible enough? You know, I think it used to be. I think it used to be. Um, but I think there's a recognition now more and more, and, and a lot of research is, is bearing this out, that in fact, no, CEOs care a lot about this. They think a lot about it. Uh, but I'm reminded of one of, my favorite, uh, one of my favorite quotes of all time by Adolph Rupp, the great basketball coach at University of Kentucky. He, he said, whenever you see a man on top of a mountain, you can be sure he didn't fall there. Meaning, <laughs> it's work, it's hard, and you can't just say, "Hey, let's let's have a great culture." You actually have to do something about it. It has to be a deliberate creation. I was uh, I was uh, talking with a good friend of mine, a woman named Ann Rhodes, who is uh, was one of the early founders of Southwest, became their chief people officer, and and uh, they went on to become the chief people officer at JetBlue. And, you know, Southwest, for example, is one of those that when I ask the question, uh, you know, think of an organization that you just love, it almost universally comes up. And so I ask the question, why? Why Why do you always say that? 
Uh, and they all say it's fun. That's the answer that always comes up, because it's fun. So I asked Ann Rhodes, when, when you and Herb Kelleher were creating this great you know, organization, was this something that just happened? Or, and then she, you know, nothing. she said, oh, no, Sean, I got to tell you, not at all. This was, this was a very deliberate decision on the part of our CEO. When we were founded in 1971, you know, you asked the question, how many airlines were, were, were in around, around in 1971? Someone once told me all of them, right? They were all around. Right. And so few of them exist today. But Southwest is, has gone on to become the number one performing stock in the history of the U.S. Stock Exchange. Wow. History, right? So, so they're, they're doing some things right. When all the other airlines went out of business, they have become the, the top performing stock, stock in the history. And, and, and said, yeah, this was the key. We knew that everyone had airplanes and seats and pilots and you know, all of that. We, we all flew the same equipment. Um, the difference was going to be how people were made to feel not just customers, but also employees. And that was the key differentiator. And to this day, now when people say, I choose Southwest because, wow, there's just a different feeling when I work with them. Right? So that's, that's really the first, the first key lesson, I think, in how do you go about it. It's got to be a conscious choice, and it's got to be a conscious choice on the part of the leader mm. and the leadership team and leadership really at all levels. They have to say, we've, we've got to be committed to doing this. Sean, what do you say to uh, the, just the average Joe Blow that is, you know, middle management or lower even in an organization that, that, that maybe doesn't feel like they have the power to create or change right. the culture? I would say... Um, that you have a whole lot more power than you think. Um, there's usually only one CEO inside an organization. There's usually only one relatively small executive team, right? And these are the folks that really set the direction for culture. Um, and there's a lot of people who work underneath them in, within the organizational structure. But I have seen hundreds, probably thousands of examples of uh, organizations where they have done meaningful, significant things with their culture because an individual at a, at a certain level made a decision that they were going to be an element of change. Hmm. And, uh, and so through their behavior and through you know, what Stephen Covey would call their circle of influence, their circle of influence would expand and get bigger and bigger. And over time, it's amazing how much influence one individual can have. It really is, and it's. Um, I guess that's the, that's the key to all of us is we. Each one of us participates in the spoken and unspoken values. Each one of us has some form of relationship with each other, and we all collect. Or we all behave, and collectively our behaviors amount to something. So no matter what, I guess at whatever level, I'm still contributing to the culture or not. Absolutely, you're not only contributing, you're leading. Um, and the, that 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 leadership really is as much a choice as it is a position. Um, and uh, uh, let me give you one example of this. Uh, we've done some work with a major uh, uh, food organization. Won't name the the organization, but uh, they're a name that everyone would recognize. And they produce things like potato chips and mm. things like that. And um, 
a new CEO came in who was tasked with the responsibility of having a, you know, a banner stellar record year. Uh, at the same time where the commodities that he was working with, which in this case were potatoes, were decimated. And so, you know, he was going to have to pay more money. There was no way he could hit his numbers. And, you know, how do you do that? Well, he recognized that the solution to that problem with their potatoes, the, the problem with potatoes was actually the solution was a people issue. And if he could get his team to work and to collaborate and to, and to uh, uh, you know, uh, communicate effectively, uh, in an environment where they trusted one another, um, they could come up with, with solutions that would make a difference. And, and so that was the answer. But the interesting thing about that whole engagement that we did that transformed that organization, went on to have a record year, and this individual was promoted to become the CEO of, uh, of the broader organization, uh, a lot on, the, on the, the record of his performance. It didn't start with that leader. It started with... with um, not even the the head of their HR department. It was a work. It was an individual contributor there, who who because of her uh, modeling of the behavior created created just within her own little team. Here's how we're going to operate. That spread and grew, and and pretty soon the entire organization was on board, right? And ended up being a seismic impact, having seismic impact for that entire uh, organization. And it all started with that one individual who made the choice mm. to be a model of this behavior. So, it's, I guess, really all it takes, Sean, is the, I mean, to believe and believe that you can be that one um, person and then and then do something. I guess that's part of the key, too, is get on it. Do something. Sean Moon is his name. We appreciate you, Sean, being with us. The name of the book, The Ultimate Competitive Advantage, Why Your People Make All the Difference. And, uh, wow, powerful, powerful stuff that we all can do better. And if you're a leader, if you're a manager, you better be paying attention to the people because they make your culture, they make your, they make everything happen one way or another. We will continue the journey. In fact, we'll be talking to two of our favorite people from BYU Sports Nation and uh, see what's coming up on their show in just a bit. Welcome back, friends. It's time now to go down to two of our favorite uh, yodelers, Jerem and Jason, and find out what's coming up on their show on BYU Sports Nation. Hello, yodelers. Hello. Good morning. How you guys doing? Doing good. What's uh, what's with the uh, the yodeling? What's what's, what's not the story with, behind it? I mean, no, not, you need an excuse. No, I mean it's we the, referenced it on the show today and with Spencer and Jerem a couple days ago. It's it's the perfect it's the perfect song. I'm talking about game shows, so. Oh, yeah, from Price is Right. That makes sense. Right? Don't you think? Yeah. Hey, um, how are you guys? We're just, we're Doing just pretty good. Celebrating uh, the United States triumphs over What do you think uh, of Canada that? Since yes. The French and Indian War. Oh, that was an, in a shootout. Exciting, right? I didn't even know they had guns in the hockey, on the hockey. In, in the hockey. In the hockey the match floor. Hockey. The team. Things have evolved. Yeah. It's a different. You no, know, it's a different sport these days. Things have devolved since the old west. <laughs> I love the I love the biathlon. I just didn't know that they also let you pull out, you know, guns in the hockey match. Oh, let's let's talk about how the U.S. won its first cross country medal as well. Yeah, that was and the, and the analyst. You know, here comes whoever. Yes, yes. 
<laughs> going crazy, which is one of the greatest Homer calls of all time. Yeah. Uh, but it was, it was really exciting. You know, and anytime you see, you see the U.S. triumph in dramatic fashion, there's just a certain amount of American pride that oh, yeah. comes we want out a, of your pores. Yeah, we want America to, to do well. And so when you win and you win like that, it's exciting. It's we want to dominate. You want to scream. We want an empire on and off the field. Wow. That got weird. Show us your weapons in the Middle East. <laughs> that got really, that got, that kind of went sideways You're right, fast. you're right. That got sideways quick. Just but, like that situation did too. But that was cross-country <laughs> skiing. I mean, that's so, that doesn't seem like that's our forte. It's not our forte. You know, it's but it our... was, it, it really was. You know what I think they ought to do? And this is just me being crazy. But what, why don't they put cross-country skis on somebody and make them go in the half pipe? And then make that a competition. Why don't you do the downhill, like the ski jump yeah. on, a, on a snowboard? <gasps> oh, that would be cool. It would probably blow your <laughs> tendons right off your body. <laughs> like, you've got to think somebody's tried that. It may, obviously, it may, we may not have video of it. not living to tell the no, yeah. tale. May yeah, he rest in peace. Is, yes, but that would be, be kind of cool. Yeah. I would, I would watch that. Would you? Yeah. Not bad. It's not about it. There should be a show about what shows you would watch. Yeah, I'd watch that. I like, would watch that. <laughs> like it's American Idol, but it's just people selling TV shows. It's Shark Tank, but it's not any product. It's just TV show ideas. Okay, oh, this is what we need idea. to do. This this is a this needs something needs to happen okay. with I'll, all of us involved in I'm this conversation right I'm now. I'm going to write it down. And everybody, Jeff? listen, yeah. everybody, okay. everybody listening to this conversation right now. Okay, we need to start a hashtag today. I'd watch that. I'd, watch, I'd that. watch that. And you just tweet out things that you would watch and then hashtag it with I'd watch that. And let's see if we can make this thing grow throughout the day. Wow. That's a great Are idea. Are you in? I'm in. Is everyone Except in? Except I don't tweet much, but I'll have Terry do some you have, you, you, tweeting The people for me. that you pay to tweet yeah. for you. No, I'll, I'll, I'll do my Get page. Get Terry North to tweet. <laughs> We'll have we'll have Terry we'll have Terry get started on it, and then by the time you guys are off the show, it'll be flowing. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna send out my first tweet with that idea that I had. Okay, that's a good about one. these these ski jump that's with good. on a snowboard. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Okay, it's it, the hashtag is I I'd watch that. Yes, I I guess I apostrophe D watch that. No, no, you can't do apostrophe uh, because I, then it takes it away from okay, the hashtag. That's true, that's true, that's true. Hashtag ID watch that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. I'd watch that. Okay, I'd watch all that. Right. Okay. I'd, I'd watch uh, yodeling um, competition in the Olympics. I'd watch You'd that. You'd watch that? Mm-hmm. Really? Okay. Maybe let's, perhaps we should think about it a little more. No, no. We, what do you uh... mean? No, what do you mean by that? <laughs> what do you mean by that? It's like you're dissing my my oh, great offering. Like. Uh, Terry's getting that started as well. Okay, Have this you is talked exciting. about women in math today? Uh, women in math? Yeah. No. R- really? No, why? Oh. Do you know what we're talking oh. about? Oh, no. boy. Did I okay. miss something? I know there's like five minutes left in your show. Did I miss something? You need to look up Google BYU women in math. Oh, wow. Or I'll just tell you right now. Well, you can tell me right now while, while I'm looking it up. The math department at Brigham uh-huh. held a... Meeting, <gasps> math club, women, women in math, women in math. They put out a poster. The only issue is there were four dudes on the poster. Yeah, I see that. So the BYU tried to explain itself and say, "Well, it's for the the women, you know, students, and they can get you know good advice and conversation and learn, you know, from." <laughs> but there were no women presenting. 
Yeah. In the women in math. Yeah. So that went uh, national yesterday. Yeah. That's kind of embarrassing. Yeah. Man. Ugh. Dudes in football. Yeah. <laughs> women in, yeah. Yeah. Like, it would be great to have women in math talk about women in math. Well, right? yeah, it almost, it seems like a little bit of a bait and switch. Yeah. You know what I mean? Here's the question, though. Were there refreshments? <laughs> Were they blessed? It's always about Were the, the hands re- that prepared them blessed. It's always about the refreshments with Jason. <laughs> bless, bless his heart. Why, why the single organ? Hey, no? um, <laughs> here's, here's something. You guys, you're doing your show, right? What, what are you going to talk about other than women in We're going to talk about women in math. That's we good, are, yeah. really are. We're discussing that. We're going to talk about game day at Portland. Ooh, Can yeah. the Cougs win a road game in the WCC? How confident are you? They're going to win. Okay. Yeah. Do, will I predict BYU to go win by 17 plus or nuts? Oh, don't. The only interesting don't. question. Ah, that Nine seems dangerous. Points, okay. We're also going to talk with Greg Rubel. He's going to be on the show. He obviously will call the game tonight on BYU Radio. We'll get his uh, thoughts on the game, and I'm sure we'll ask him about last night's uh, Canada loss to the USA in women's hockey. Mm. Yeah, because, yeah. He's Canadian. He's Canadian, and he's lived here. So, can he be happy? Is he even <laughs> though he's sad for his home country? Is he is he still happy for the United States? That's a great. How question. much of an American is he? Is what we're really getting at. That's and, what you're uh, going to find out. Should the BYU women's basketball team tank for the three seed? <sighs> the comment from Jeff Judkins yesterday. Oh, that'll make you think. It'll make you go, hmm. Like it'll women's, make you be like, what? Women in women's basketball. Women. In women's basketball. That's great. We'll also come up. That's exciting. All right, boys. That sounds like a great show. Straight ahead. Straight ahead. And um, apparently they're serving food that's been blessed. That was a big point of what they were also discussing. Um, We didn't even have time to talk to them about the Krispy Kreme rollout of the new Hershey's Gold Donut. That would have been been fun to talk to them about. What was the hashtag again? I'd tune in for that. Hashtag I'd watch that. I'd watch that. I'd eat that. You'd eat the, that. I'd I'd watch I'd watch that. I'd <laughs> watch, watch you eat eating that. that Krispy Kreme roll. Yeah. Mmm. That sounds really good. So uh, as you know, we always like to end the show with a hero story, and today's hero is a Florida teacher that gave fiance instructions. Uh, if he happened to die in a shooting. Listen to this. The Long Island native who died saving students in Florida last week gave his fiance specific instructions about his funeral should he ever die in a school shooting, the weeping woman said. The hero teacher Scott Beagle once told fiance Gwen as they watched coverage of another school shooting on TV, promise me if this ever happens to me, you will tell them the truth. Tell them what a jerk I am. Don't talk about the hero stuff. The grieving woman said through tears during Beagle's funeral at Temple Beth L in uh, Boca Raton, Florida. Okay, Scott, I did what you asked. The tearful woman continued. Now I can tell the truth. You're an amazingly special person. You are my first love and my soulmate. Beagle, a 35-year-old geography teacher, had unlocked his classroom at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School to let in some students during Wednesday's deadly mayhem. Then he got shot by a bullet while trying to lock the door again to keep the shooter out. His student, Kelsey Friend, told CNN that he saved her life before he was shot outside the classroom door. Uh, He said, Mr. Beagle was my hero and he will forever be my hero. I will never forget the actions that that he took for me and for fellow students in the classroom. I am alive today because of him. So, Scott Beagle, you are the hero of the day and also your wonderful fiance, uh, Gwen, as well for um, just keeping your wishes 
alive for all of us. We need heroes, folks. You are part of that solution. Let's all be a little better. Let's all be a little bit more uh, patient with each other as well. And we'll be back again tomorrow. BYU Sports Nation is up next. 